Hello and welcome to the last regular episode of the TetraCast for 2020. I don't know how we've made it this far. Uh, this, you know, we kind of revived the podcast after a dormant period early this year, I think in February. And there was no guarantee that we would stick around and do it week by week throughout the whole year. But somehow we've managed. There's been ups and downs. Uh, some have been longer and shorter. But here we are at the finish line. I'm your host, Brian Vitelli. Joining me today is Josh Torres. Hi, hello. We've got Adam Vitelli. Hello. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. And even though he wanted to be here, George Foster had a, a real life, you know, emergency of sorts. So he will not. But you will still hear from him and many of us early next year, or will it be late this year or early next year when we when we publish our RPG of the year 2020 podcast it'll, it'll be, be right around the new year yeah right so you'll still hear from all of us and that that might still have the tetracast feel to it but uh it'll it'll have a different format it'll have a lot more voices on it etc but this is the last one where we just go over our our weekly games we've been playing our weekly topical discussions etc etc so here we are in december it is december what's the date 12th, 12th. So Cyberpunk 2077 has been out for two days officially. So in case you have already, go ahead. Is it out though? Oh yeah, uh, a, <laughs> that, that is a great philosophical question. <laughs> Anyone can purchase it and play it. So yes, it is. It is out. Uh, so in case you haven't heard from a previous podcast, uh, or if you haven't noticed it from our reader's choice vote poll which is on which is we have that i think pinned on our twitter page at the moment if not pinned then it's then it's on there uh on the profile page but cyberpunk 2077 has it's kind of past the cutoff date for being able to be included in the end of the year discussions for both our rpg of the year and for the uh reader's choice poll rpg of the year so we will still discuss it Go ahead. I feel like even if it was included, just based off the fact that it's it's released, but it's definitely kind of half-baked in a lot of ways right now on the technical side of things, probably wasn't going to do incredibly well anyways, but yeah. Well, that's, that's actually a decent segue that I can um, maybe kind of talk about my experience with the game, because I was also fortunate enough to get early access to it. So obviously, uh, this is going to be our first major shout-out for the podcast. Uh, Alex Donaldson, who is basically our our chief, our boss at Honcho, did do a rare editorial appearance to write our review for Cyberpunk 2077. So that is up on the website, and he basically—I don't, uh, not to speak for him—but he basically thought he saw a lot of DNA in Cyberpunk from games that he really is fond of, including Bioware games, including Deus Ex type games, immersive sim elements. Are present and then i was playing alongside him my focus was mostly to be about the guide guide features for the site but of course he also you know bounced a lot of opinions off me we had a lot of discussions like as he was writing the review so uh it, it wasn't a co-written review but you know he did have an outlet to to discuss his feelings to kind of you know have that different thing instead of just having to stew on it himself <laughs> in the soup of everything that is surrounding that game tangentially uh he right, thought very definitely. Go ahead. Like a, the, both of you played uh, very differently because he was writing it like very, very focused, very concentrated on at least, you know, getting to see like 
you know, a good chunk of stuff, but he wanted to see obviously the end before writing that review while you you kinda uh you had more time to like kind of permeate with it because you were doing guide features you were definitely more intimate with the game and, and like at the comparing your playthroughs uh, with Alex. Yeah. He was like a race car driving through it. No, he didn't like he didn't, maybe that's a bad analogy because he didn't like mainline and ignore everything else, but he knew that he had to obviously see the finish line where I was right. playing it more like a tractor where I was just like methodically going through it, reloading saves to see a quest dialogue, you know, made a significant difference, you know, really combing whole areas to find all of the side quests and write them down and all the unique weapons, things like that. So when you're playing a game for review or for guide features, when you have the title early for a site, it, it can, it can change your experience quite a bit depending on what's expected from you like on a, on a publishing front. And, um, and obviously for full transparency that we also put on the site as well, like when you guys have early, early access codes, you guys only saw the PC version before release and you guys had, you know, relatively top-of-the-line hardware uh, compared to like, you know, what the mass majority might have out there. Yeah, so... Uh, the only review codes available as we had the game for about a week, which I, I wish we had it a little longer because uh, it is such a massive game, especially if you're playing it like exhaustively. Um, where console codes, I think, went out like the day before or the day of release, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And you could obviously be very, very cynical and rightfully so in saying that that's because they were really trying to mask some of the issues that are inherent to playing that game on a base xbox one or even a base xbox or sorry a base ps4 uh it's been quite remarkable to see like the side-by-side comparisons i saw, mm-hmm. I saw I've seen I, the funniest one that i saw was when you first enter night city from your apartment it, it has like this very like welcome to the game moment where it, like pans up and it's like you see all of this the uh civilians like walking through the streets and it's the density and it, you know it looks gorgeous and someone compared it to uh the xbox one version where it's like super bare bones and obviously a lot less pretty and they put like the jurassic park theme with like the recorder flute <laughs> over it uh, uh, so just youtube jurassic park recorder if you don't know what i'm talking about it's hilarious that <laughs> whenever i need to cheer myself up i just watched that a few times uh but the thing is, is that I normally play most games on PC. So obviously I keep decent PC hardware. Uh, not top of the line, really, but pretty strong stuff. And then I actually saw someone say in, in response to Alex's review and his computer, who wrote the, he wrote the review, he's got a 3080 and I don't. So he's got, you know, top, top of the line. Uh, the comment was like, can't you, re- can't you review this on hardware that more people have? And that's a fair point because, like, what what is this game going to play like if you have a nine seventy, a ten eighty? Uh, I would I would name some AMD cards in there, but I I don't know how those. Yeah, that's that's what's holding me back. I have a nine seventy. I'm like I when I when I look at people who have a nine seventy and see how this game is running, I don't know if I want to run that. And then I look at so, like, should I get it? On, wait, hold on. Let me finish my thought. So when I think about like, oh, should I um, get it on PS five? I'm like. That doesn't make much sense either because while e- while the Xbox Series X and uh, PS5 versions run at 60 FPS, they're still you know the backward compatible versions of the previous gen. So obviously the NPC density is not going to be there. And like that, that's to me like kind of one of the important parts about a game like this because like if you like you were talking about it earlier about that big breakout moment of like oh if I want to go this game I want to make it feel like it's really like alive. You know I want to. 
uh, going to the city, and I, you know, I kind of expect like you know that this city is going to be well populated. I don't, I don't want my first experience with this game to be like, oh, this is kind of bare bones, not there yet. So I'm like thinking maybe I should just like hold off on this game till either I build a better computer or maybe I wait for the next gen versions, like the native next gen versions, and hopefully you know the bells and whistles are there, and I cross my fingers that'll be fine. So I'm like kind of torn on like whether when I should play this game because it, it seems like my 970 is not going to cut like 1080 on high settings. So I was like kind of hoping for, but you know, that's where I'm at right now. So what I've seen is um, basically like a GTX 1080 Vega 64 around there, basically at 1080p max settings, obviously no ray tracing because those cards don't really support it. Um, it's like 40 FPS average at 1080p. So. Yeah, that's not, that's not what I'm really looking for. I'm looking for like 1080 at 60. Yeah, once you play performance yeah. mode, <laughs> 60 <laughs> FPS. Granted, since Cyberpunk is like more of an RPG, I feel like I could handle like 30 FPS if I were to play it. But I'm also kind of torn because like, my roommate actually did buy the PS4 version and installed it on PS5 in the living room. And uh, then a friend of his bought him the PC version. So, like, he's not playing the PS4 on PS5 version anymore. So I could just play through that if I wanted to. But it's also like, well, it runs all right. But even just looking at, like, the visual comparisons that folks are posting on Twitter, it's like... Yeah, I guess in a vacuum it looks all right. But then you compare it to, like top like max out pc settings and it's like pretty sure like when after some optimization and whatnot the next gen versions will definitely look closer to that and that's a big jump so i kind of just want to wait <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's a, thing so in alex's review he did obviously have a whole section on bugs and issues i guess there's a difference between bugs and performance issues but uh, some of them do kind of overlap a little bit uh the thing is is that a lot of that you it's difficult to try to know exactly how heavily to weigh those because a lot of the issues that I ran with, with bugs, with like blocked quests and some animation oddities have already been fixed as of patch 1.04. And that's sort of the thing, like the more heavily you weigh those, the more dated your critical opinion is. But at the same time, you don't want to just ignore it and say, well, you're absolved of all you know critical analysis here because it'll eventually be fixed right on faith. So it's actually quite a tricky line. And um, Alex's review, this is my personal opinion as just a reader, is that it reads a lot more like an eight than a nine. And you might think like, well, that, does that really matter? And maybe the answer is no. But uh, he did voice a lot of the uh, kind of opinions about poor performance, uh, weird, weird oddities with the design of the overworld. So sometimes with this game, it's got... Let's see, how do I want to segue into this? Night City, I think, is almost like the main character of this game, as that may, as odd as that might sound. It's like incredibly dense. Um, at least in my case, it was very beautiful. A lot of the times, it's it feels as someone who's lived in a large city for several years, it feels like the least like a manufactured playground as any open world game that I've played. And I the most recent one that I've played is Division Two. And it just feels a lot more organic, a lot more like this is how a city would actually look, and which which a lot of times means that it's kind of messy, where it's not always so neat and structured and organized. 
and you'll go from one area to the next to the next and as you drive through it you'll kind of notice that the the aesthetics change the design of the buildings change the density and how tall they are change but it's not just segmented like this is the coastal region or this is downtown region it will i guess it literally is on the map but it, do it doesn't feel that way when you're driving through it uh it's probably one of the most uneven games that I've ever played. When you're playing the main story and you're doing like the stuff that obviously they've put the most time into in terms of like first person animations, dialogues, uh, when you're like just simply like leaning against a counter and another character comes to sit down next to you and they order a drink and the bartender gives them a drink and they fill it up and, they, you know, it looks all real and like super well done. And then you do like stuff in the overworld where like if you shoot at a trash can and then all the NPCs cower in the exact same animation. And then you see like three toddlers all wearing the same clothes <laughs> or something like that uh, running around. It's, it just, it's just like it's so uneven. But those highs are really quite high. Sometimes do you think I it'll want... get there like uh, like as as time uh, progresses? Like, you know, CD Projekt Red does have like, you know, a good history of getting their games up like uh, up to snuff like witcher 3 was abysmal at launch uh you know, so and but they you know over time that game like got to where it needed to be and like there's very minimal like performance complaints to to, to worry about in that game these days but if cyberpunk you know gets there will, will it be like a more like will will it your opinion of it now will it be like higher than Will it be like you know down the road, or do you think it'll just maintain like this is what it is, and there's no? I I, th I think the consensus aspects. opinion will kind of go up because my my gut feeling is that there are certain types of bugs that bother people greatly that don't really bother me, and they're usually animation issues. Like for instance, if some character is handing me something in game, but he, but the game doesn't despawn the gun out of his hand, so it looks like he's handing me his gun, but he's supposed to be handing me like a chip that sort of error like that doesn't really bug mm -hmm. me like oh they'll probably look at that and they'll 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 have them despawn the gun right before he hands this item to me in a quest but some people are like they like stick to that or or like if a character ends up like posing like they're sitting in midair or something like that that's obviously very awkward and hilarious but to me i'm like oh, they'll address this like it doesn't i guess i don't know why i have that mindset but i just naturally do it's like this that's will fine. be addressed uh, but some people mm -hmm. just say like they look at that and then they pull out like all of the comparisons to broken games like Fallout games or Witcher Three when it first released. But to me, like that sort of stuff, like I don't want to dwell on it because I know if I return to Cyberpunk, it's not like video games have a shelf life. Well, at least not a not a small one. You could argue about preservation when you start looking out decades. Uh, but if I go back to Cyberpunk in five years. And ninety percent of all these animation issues are are no longer there. I don't like. I don't want dwelling on them now. Just seems kind of fruitless in a way. Like, don't ignore them. Call them out. I mentioned the times where they show up. Yeah, that's just my opinion. You could have a completely different opinion. You could say that it should be the same experience for someone playing it on day one compared to year five. Now, honestly, that's that's a hard opinion to disagree with. Uh, that's that's video games now these days, though. Right? Yeah, that's really every video game that was like oh we have a day one patch and like and by, by and large the person who's getting it uh, at launch will have a probably more inferior experience than someone who gets it like six months not to mention like games that get dlc which i'm sure that cyberpunk will be getting dlc considering yeah. the witcher 3 did so 
So I want to talk more about the story stuff instead of talking about all these mechanical and like uh, nuts and bolts things. So this game, obviously there has been people who have criticized it for being wow, cool robot interpretation of cyberpunk or wow, 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 cool future. And in a way I can't really disagree with that. It feels like it's really enjoying the setting but doesn't really engage with it that much. And I don't want to talk about like, I am a cyberpunk genre expert. I know exactly how it should be done, but it just feels like, for instance, uh, you have all of these thoughts about how corporations are terrible and how like the, the, the night city is just a world where dreams go to die and things like that. But then like during, when you're in the open world, it's, it's, uh, it's dotted with quests that could have been pulled out of any GTA game where it's like, oh, the cops are in a shootout against some thugs. You should you should help them. So you go help the cops in, in Cyberpunk. It, and it just feels like, sure, that would work in, in another game, but it just feels very vanilla. Like, it doesn't feel... It feels almost, like, incongruous with the rest of the game. Or uh, when you go through and... I'm not sure exactly how I want to address this. It just feels like it has way too much GTA DNA, Grand Theft Auto, than it should. And I've never really played Grand Theft Auto. I played Vice City way, way back. It just just feels like a lot of it is like, this is open world RPG, cyberpunk flavored. It doesn't feel like it really dives deep into it. Uh, At least for the open world, at least for the design of the game uh, broadly. The story does touch on some issues with... Um, prostitution, with gangs, with corporations, uh, even with like transhumanism. But then, like, for instance, one of the one of the uh, before launch controversies was about this advertisement that said it was it's advertising a drink with the tagline "Mix it up" with a with a trans character on it, and clearly overtly depicted as being like a female body with male genitalia. Um, so. It seemed very crass. It seemed very like just trying to be loud, just to be loud. And it's like it does this. It just it just seemed like very objectifying for for trans people. And then the game itself never really uh, addresses that in any meaningful way. There is one minor character who you learn in a side quest who mentions in passing is trans, but it's not in any relation to that advertisement. You don't really get to learn anything about their backstory other than this statement. It's like, it's just kind of thrown in just to have it. It's not a bad representation. It's just, there's not a really lot. They, they, they skirt this, they skirt the top of the surface so gently that there's really just not a lot to dive into there. Like they're trying to like step around it and being apolitical like that kind of describes cyberpunk to a T, which is what uh, Alex calls out in his review as well. It feels more like a how you describe it. It feels like it's it was like included there to be more like a bullet point or a feature to tout rather than like you know going anywhere. It's like it's like oh we have that too and then there there that's kind move of move on to the next thing. And, and there's there's also like the game itself just seems like you you could you you might be the type of person that hears it's apolitical and you're like think. Okay, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want. Like, that's all I want is just to have that flavor of that's of the setting. And if, to be honest, I enjoyed it too. Like, I don't think I've ever played a game that has quite this sort of like futuristic setting that feels like you can you can sort of see the 
the ramp, the, that, the connections to the world we live in now. And you can kind of see like areas where it doesn't feel 100% like absolute fiction. Like it sort of feels like, you know, this is a possible outcome. Not saying that this is like, you know, you know, Sajamas and this is what's going to happen. But it, do, it doesn't feel like, it feels like it takes place in our world. Because it does. It takes place in California in 50 years. Uh, it doesn't feel like, you know, they, they could have easily have set this like on an alien planet or, or a completely fantasy realm. But no, it takes place in California. And you can, and you can sort of feel that. Um, but but I mentioned that this game was... I could confirm this is exactly like California yeah. right now. <laughs> um all right i want to be more positive i feel like i've been kind of dwelling on negative no, no, I, I, will, I don't think i don't think you've been i don't think you've been negative you've been just been you know you're you're analyzing your critical like you know thinking about your well, time of the game i, I don't well, think you're is, negative about it so i put like 120 hours in this game this is my first outlet to really discuss it so i'm really trying to like boil it down in my head and you can probably hear me pausing yeah. and like grinding out the thoughts as i'm verbalizing it, them yeah it's a, it's a humongous <laughs> task thank you very much You've been more absorbed in Cyberpunk than I was with Cold Steel 4, and that's saying something. Jeez. Like I said, this game is one of the most uneven that I've ever played. When you're doing the main story, it's just... I think that this game has a lot of really good characters in it. And I guess you're not surprised when you look at like how strongly people attach to Geralt, to Ciri, to Yennefer. Um, so... There are some characters in this that I will not be surprised if people latch onto in similar ways. Uh, the one of the ones that has been pretty overt in the marketing is Judy Alvarez, and she's basically a uh, brain dance technician who works in the smut industry. <laughs> so, kind of in that cyberpunk uh, void, uh, in, in very much entrenched in that world where obviously she's one of the romance options uh she plays a very key role early on she kind of threads the whole game with uh her contributions to like as someone who lives in the city thought that it would be like this land of opportunity but by the end of the game in most of the routes and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk very specifically about any of the endings but i will just talk about generalities in terms of the premise uh in the end of the game, she kind of learns that Night City isn't for her and she wants to leave. And that kind of ends up being sort of like this through line through the game that it ends up being told through these characters where if you if you basically line up with where the corporations want you to be, act the way they want you to act, uh, there's certain people that end up being on top of the world and like they own the city literally, but everyone else is just meant to be used, exploited, chewed up and spit out. And you do see some of that through some of the character interactions, and Judy is one of them. Uh, another great character is Pan Am, who is uh, one of the, basically, outlaws that lives on the outskirts of the city. So she kind of has the opposite uh, sort of viewpoint, where she's not really a Night City citizen, but she lives on the outside. She, they, Her and her clan, uh, that's how they verbalize it in-game, of basically roughnecks and rough riders. They they basically they're they're not so idealistic. They kind of skirt by with the means that they have, and they they uh they're the sort of people that ambush caravans full of Militech, which is one of the corporation's technology and vehicles, because they need it for themselves in order to survive. And they they're they're like Robin Hood, you know. They don't they don't think that these corporations need it. They already have everything else. Um, and so like you'll spend a lot of time with these characters, and then all the side quests in the game will give you like ample opportunities, hours to to dive deeper into it so it's the sort of game where if you mainline it you're missing a whole lot 
of these character interactions, which kind of tell the story of this dystopian city and how it affects different people from different viewpoints, from different lifestyles in different ways. Uh, so like, I know like, I know like the main storyline, like the front to back storyline has to do with Johnny Silverhand, who is Mm -hmm. Keanu Reeves, basically getting implanted into your brain and he wants like revenge. Right. Um, That's kind of the general premise. Now, from what you've said and what Alex said in his review on our site, like that storyline is okay, I guess, like, like as written, but it seems like both of you kind of more attached to, you know, the, the quieter side moments um, with characters that are more about like the character building and the character stories rather than like the front to back narrative of cyberpunk 2077. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's fair, but I do want to say that the main line with Johnny isn't, it's not like it's bad. It's not like it's a downer. It's just that it's not as good as the other stuff. And I think part of one contribution to that is that Johnny Silverhand, at least at the very start, is not a sympathetic character in any way. He's an asshole. He's crude. He's crass. He's objectifying towards women. But in a way, he's kind of supposed to be. That doesn't excuse it. It's just like, man, this person is not a good person. And then, like, the first time that, like, in the, the game is divided into two acts, even though it's really more like, it's act one, act two, but act one really more serves like a prologue. You're only locked to one area of the city. Uh, you have, like, a very kind of narrow quest line. And at the very end, you, you even get the, uh, the title card after that. And then you go into act two, which is basically, like, everything else. So that's when the game really opens up. And then at the start of act two, that's when Johnny Silverhand gets implanted in your head. And the first time he meets you, he tries to kill you. But then he kind of you realize that you're basically like two souls, one body sort of thing. So that's not really possible without killing himself also. So then it ends up becoming this kind of uneasy alliance where you, if you both want to live, you got to work together sort of thing, which is a very, it's kind of maybe like a very common sort of concept. It's sort of, but it's obviously presented in a way that's pretty unique here. And one thing that Alex did point out is that one thing that it really allows this game to do that's really kind of neat is that for being a single per single player game that could otherwise be pretty lonely because there's no party there's no like even though you have these romances they don't really like follow you around things like that they they kind of only really matter in their side quests or if they're or if they phone call you but you'll have Johnny there all the time so you'll do a side quest that doesn't involve him at all and uh you'll you'll see you'll read something on an on a kind of computer screen or something or you'll find a body in a bathroom and he'll just chime in it's just kind of a way of the game presenting information to you so you don't have to read it in a data log or on a computer or have it verbalized to you from some other npc that's in the yeah, area or have the character talk main character like talk to themselves right like I one guess. thing that this game does avoid is one thing that i found myself more and more kind of irrationally irritated by is when you like do like this sort of detective mode whether it's batman or horizon or witcher 3 where you like find like footprints and you're like "Mm, must have been a struggle looks like they dragged the body this way they were in a hurry (laughs) they must have been carrying something you know what i mean whether like it's like this game avoids that or you might say well maybe not avoid but it packages it in this dual character mode where it doesn't or it feels distinct and unique and cool i would yeah uh, go ahead I would rather Keona Reeves tell me that than me, like any other person, like the monologuing to themselves. Well, kind of uh, like specifically, so when you have like the the single character doing that, it, first of all, it seems kind of awkward. Like, man, this character talks to themselves a lot, and that's kind of weird. But also, like, they have like super duper powers of deduction all the time, or 
like assume always the right thing. Whereas if you have like another character, they can know things that your player player character might not or whatever. So when they chime in, they can chime in in different ways rather than, you know, these weird deductions or assumptions or talking to themselves. So, yeah. And then uh, he does mellow Johnny does through the course of the game. And it kind of, it kind of culminates at this pretty impactful scene. I'll, I'll kind of spare the details in terms of trying to be vague, but I think the game does a good job. It's not supposed to be, oh, he's actually a good person, but it's it's more like bad people can have regrets sort of thing where you don't have to forgive them. You don't have to even like them, but they, they aren't a monolith of, oh, you are a bad person. I will never have to think of you with any sort of complexity. So the game does do a pretty good job at rounding out his character as you go through the game. I, 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 I 100% believe that good characters don't have to be good people. Like exactly. that is not a requisite. So, you know, even if a character is an asshole or a jerk or or a, a bad person in whatever way, that doesn't make them a bad character. Like not that, that, that it's maybe some tenuous connection there, but nah, there's more to a character than just are they morally good or are they morally bad. Right. So, I'll be honest. I'm like like most of my like characters that I love in RPGs are like probably considered bad people. You know, because mm-hmm. I I just find like like tortured souls like a bit more like those are the character archetypes that uh, appeal to me the most that i find most interesting of like oh how did they get here and like what are the how are they Mm -hmm. like living their life moving forward after this whatever they give them through you know and like that's interesting to me yeah they have to be interesting and they also have to be you know it has to be like believable too they if they're just if someone is bad just because they're like want to take over the world or whatever like that's kind of boring you know just whatever <laughs> so so you'll go through the game and johnny mellows out through it and then uh it, it's pretty much i don't know how much i want to give away well, is this well, is the sort of it's up to your discretion, uh, you know like if there's a spoiler warning then definitely like the, hey let people know oh there's like light spoilers like this is maybe like maybe three hours in or something Mm-hmm. I will you. say that on the RPG front, some people might try to think of this like almost like an Obsidian game where it has like wide branching choices and like a huge, you know, forked narrative. It really doesn't, it doesn't really quite doesn't like the life path that you pick doesn't reverberate through the game as strongly as it could. It ends up basically unlocking different tiers of dialogue but I guess they wanted to be careful and not really say, like, you can only do X, Y, or Z if you're a corporal or if you're a street kid. Um, and some people might say, like, oh, that means it's meaningless. But I do think that it does provide enough flavor where you're allowed to chime in with, like, this experience that your uh, V has had. And that, that, sort of, that sort of comparison, calling it flavor, I think kind of describes a lot of the, the RPG dialogue in this game, where depending on your stats which you as a pure rpg you do um allocate attribute points into different like almost like a character sheet on a tabletop game because that's what this game is built from like pond smith cyberpunk 2020 uh and i will say that i'll get back to this but in terms of building your character there is a ton to consider but in terms of how it affects the progression of the game maybe a little less so it's basically whenever you have a dialogue choice in a conversation 
Sometimes it will affect whether or not you like avoid a fight or not, or if you get a certain piece of information or not. But it's not like it's going to branch into the super divergent thing, which I have seen some people playing the game for the first couple of days really heavily criticize. And I don't blame them for that. But I do think like it's very much Witcher 3 in that sense, where you could make decisions on what Geralt would say to kind of make him more like of an, of an agreeable person or more of a hard ass. But it really wouldn't change where quests would lead, where the story would turn. It's more just for kind of role-playing purposes on a pure basis. Not what do you get out of it, but just what sort of character is this? And so it kind of straddles the line of, is Geralt, is V a bespoke written character or a player avatar? And the answer is, is that they're, that they're both. V more than Geralt. So I still enjoy being able to make those sort of choices, even though if you tell me like it's meaningless because you don't get anything different out of it, I really can't disagree. I just think on a pure on a pure role playing front, being able to say like I'm going to make my V an agreeable person, or I'm going to make them a corp an ex corpo, you know, disgruntled hard ass. I think there's pure merit in that, but maybe that's maybe you don't feel the same way. But it's also important to to note that like V is just not like a pure vessel for like. You the you the player like V is an actual character in this game like with their own personality and their own you know set of morals right yeah yeah you can kind of shift and push it to be in certain directions but obviously it's it's not a blank slate and when when people how do I say this it's kind of like it's weird how and this game does have some first person Bethesda DNA in it uh, not literally but I guess more like philosophically. Where in fall in most Fallout games, you're a nameless character that you play largely in first person until Fallout 4, where they gave your character a voice, and it felt totally different. And so obviously, basically, the, whether or not it seems like such a minor little tech box, but whether or not your character has a voice really kind of impacts what how much freedom there is in terms of controlling your own character and making them your own your own um and this game does sort of do the alpha protocol thing a little bit where it doesn't tell you exactly what the line that is going to be spoken is it just kind of gives you a general idea well alpha protocol only gives you one word right it said like aggressive or, or a few words yeah yeah so it isn't quite that but it's like you'll have a line and it'll give you kind of like a short sentence summary of what v might mention in two sentences or three sentences so it's not quite that and I don't think I really ever had any moment where it's like, that's not what I expected her to say. It's just that the delivery of the line, the way that they format their sentence, things like that, is inherently V and the writers of the game. And okay, less. so that's, that's that's a good thing to note because like there'll be there'll be many times like when you said like an alpha protocol, like you, you might choose to like strongly disagree with what they're, they're saying that like your dude will just slam their head into the table because you chose that. I'm just like, wait, no, I oh man, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> ever it doesn't ever get quite like that, but maybe in a small sense of way it does where you might end up being a slightly more curt than you anticipated or, or things like that. Um, but, or like, for instance, there's one part of the game where Johnny says like, he's finally going to do good for something. And then you can, you can say like, no, you fucked this up too. And like, are you, are you going to be like, no, you fucked this up too, Johnny, or like really mad? Like, no, you fucked this up too. Uh, so there's certain, certain like tonalities that you can't quite parse until you say it which I'm okay with. And it never, it was never quite as egregious as it could be in some other games. Okay. But for the, for the character building itself, I really like 
think that that is one of the game's strongest aspects where by like my 10th or 12th hour into the game, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to be. Like, so I put some points into like stealth. Then I found that that was just making it, that that obviously it alters the pace of the game a fair bit. And I'm looking at the timer and I'm realizing I've been talking about Cyberpunk a little longer than I wanted to. So this might, this might be my last major topic. Um, so I, I, I first wanted to go heavily into stealth because I just thought that the game handles stealth, in my opinion, pretty well. Alex didn't agree with me, but that's fine. Uh, but there's just uh, there's cool ways that you can uh, reposition enemies to make them more aligned in your, like the route that you want to travel through a building. There's usually multiple routes that you can go through, whether you like go to the upper floor and jump down to the below or crawl through, but you do crawl through a few air vents, uh, things like that. So it does have that Deus Ex sort of, uh, sort of feeling to it. But then I got like this really good scope pistol and I'm like, maybe I should be like a gunslinger. And then I learned that like you can, if you need to keep enemies alive for some reason, cause you're trying to be non-lethal, you can use blunt weaponry. So I'm like, what if I just get like a really strong baseball bat and, <laughs> and spec into like melee stuff. Um, so, and then one one part of the game that I never really got too deep into are like the quick hacks, where basically you can like hack someone because uh, most people are augmented, so you can like hack their optic sensor so they can't see and they're blinded, which obviously could contribute to a self gameplay. Or you can kind of like poison them by like altering the levels in their bloodstream or something. Or like I think you can even like literally like try to if you can get a high end cyber hack that like explodes grenades in their hands or shut them down and that's not that's just a part of the game like by the time that I had un- unlocked some of those sort of more technical engineering sorts of builds I'd already kind of decided that I ended up being like a gunslinger sort of thing I ended up using like pistols and revolvers so I am kind of curious to see people going through this game with very different builds or play styles and I could never imagine playing this game like this. But, like, I was really fast, like, shotgunner, just run and gun, play it like an FPS sort of stuff. Like, I guess you could do that. Uh, I have seen people really criticize the gunplay. Maybe I just don't play enough FPS games, even though I do play, like, Doom and Wolfenstein from from, uh, Bethesda or id Tech or Machine Games. Um, Like, I didn't really have... Like, nothing in this game worked in a way that that felt wrong to me from a first-person firing re- firing weapons standpoint so maybe someone who does maybe if one of you or someone else uh plays it that does have a better understanding of what makes a good gunplay and what doesn't can chime in more play destiny too <laughs> uh are there any like sort of like different rewards if you go to through an encounter like like a pacifist encounter versus like killing everyone um, sometimes the game will very clearly note in the objectives that there's an optional objective for not killing anyone or for not being detected. So it's very much signposted where it'll say like optional did not set off an alarm. And if you do that, whoever gave you the quest will give you more money. 90% yet, of the time it's that. And the currencies in this game is like what money and then street cred. Uh, what else? The main the main currency is euro dollars. It's just dollars money. Uh, street cred is kind of like parallel to your level, where um, the higher street cred you have, the more gigs that are available to you. So the more little side quests you can do, and the more uh, inventory the shops will have for you. To be honest, even though they kind of do talk it up a fair bit as being like this cool, unique sort of progression, 
it ended up kind of being this sort of in the background thing that you don't think about. Like I never leveled up my street cred and I was like, you know, hell yeah, I got higher street cred. But when you do level up and you get another attribute point to spend, that actually meant something. So I felt like they didn't go far enough with street cred. It's there. If you if you're any sort of even semi-completionist, you'll probably cap it out fairly quick. You get a little bit for every gig that you do. And then before you know it, I had 50 street cred when I was only level 30. It's it's interesting enough. I feel like it could have been maybe workshopped to be a bit more meaningful. Like maybe have some sort of gear or or stats where you do more damage with with pistols or with headshots or or you have more armor with your street credit or I don't know. They, they maybe there should have been some way that they should have tethered it more strongly to the uh, to the stats or something like that. Because otherwise, I just kept it out and I think didn't really think about it again. I think that's pretty good summary. Like, there's a lot of things that I could dive into more, but I, I obviously have already spent 30 minutes on this, uh, and I want yeah, to obviously be able to like. We'll, we'll, we'll be talking about this game, you know, more than once. Now, I know this is our last podcast of this year, but you know, come around next year, more of us will have played it. It'll have been patched a bit, and we can have you know back and more back and forth. I guess. Yeah, that's yeah so, about it for sure. So I didn't. I've, so obviously, if I had just glanced on a certain aspect of the game, sorry if I didn't talk about it more, but I want to just kind of touch on everything, and I, I think we did pretty well. So it's it's a messy, uneven game, but it has really high highs. That's my personal opinion of it. At least if you're playing on PC, you want to see if someone plays on console. And, yeah, uh, I definitely. I really, really want to play. I, I almost pulled the trigger on PC, but I was like, man, I I don't know if I this 970 can get to where I want it to be though. So. I don't know. I, I want to jump in. I don't know when, though. Maybe maybe I, the right college is waiting for those native next-gen versions. Hopefully it won't be coming too late next year. Yep. So Alex does have a review up for it. It's a very long, like, 4,000-word monster. Uh, it's a pretty, I think, fair touch on the game. It's it, He gives it a 9, but there are some pretty, pretty strong criticism in there, regardless of the score. So go ahead and give it a read. Yeah, it's a really, really good review. I know we're biased and everything, but it's... Yeah. Uh, Honestly, like I, I loved it. It's an easy read too. You might think that it just ends up being a slog to read through all that, but I, it's an easy read, I think. So uh, let's let me hand it off to someone else that someone's been playing this week because I decided not to play Cyberpunk. Uh, Josh, you've been playing a very short RPG. Yeah, I'm, I'm continuing my short, very short playthrough of Persona Five Royal. I, I, I talked about it uh, when I was like fairly early on in the game, fairly early on being like what. 30-ish hours, and now I'm like nearing 90 hours into the game. Um, I, I noted like the first brand new significant thing I, I like story-wise in that game happened like at 63 hours compared to the original version. Like a, like a new event popped up, like you visit like a new place uh, that's like not wasn't in the original version. <laughs> it's a uh, right now where I'm at is like the last i think it's still considered the last normal palace in the original version if you remember adam like i think where i'm at because after that it's like you have to go through mementos yeah you go to you go to the depths of mementos is like the final dungeon of the original game right uh, so i just finished so i'm i'm nearing i'm nearing the end of like the base version and soon gonna see what the real new stuff is nearly 90 hours in or probably a little bit above that now when once i get there I think um, it's certainly a man. The pacing problems of the original is kind of feels more exacerbated here because you have so much more 
free time more than originally that you had because I remember having still have a lot of a lot of free time uh, in that game where I'm at a point now where all my stats are maxed, all my confidants except for the story beat ones are maxed, and now I just have like I usually complete these palaces like in a day because they're pretty easy, and now I'm just like, what do I do in this game? I still have like 20 days left till like the the next story beat happens, so. Like I just have to like I guess I don't know burn through the days somehow. It but it's like significantly like easier because you have like so much at your disposal so early. If like if you not even like meticulously planned it planned it out, but just like played regularly because like there'll be new subsystems in this game where like after you come back from a palace, you can still do things at night once you like unlock the option. Like I think one of the the confidants uh like has like a massage option where like you can like recover after like a, a palace visit and you can do things at night and so like you have like where night felt so restrictive in the original this one you have a lot more freedom to do like whatever you want essentially so you just start like kind of doubling like your uh time with with like communicating with the game, essentially communicating with other people in the game and whatnot, and getting all your confidants, your social links, and whatever up, and doing what you want. Like right now, I've since you're since I'm at the point where like I'm kind of nearing like where I want to be. Like I have like a lot of like high level personas because like you unlock the option. I think this is an original too, and like in the past personas where you can fuse personas that are higher level than you and then you just have to pay like a fee like oh this is mm -hmm. you're not at this level yet but you can just like pay this and getting money in this game is ridiculous. i was actually about to ask like have you maxed out on money yet i know at this point i was maxed okay. so easy to get money so the the funny thing is i probably would have been like super high on money but like i was like i need to spend this money on something so i'm just going yeah. for people's ultimate weapons now and right. uh, the interesting thing about this game is how you get people's ultimate weapons because there's this new system called fusion alarms in this in this game and those are triggered by sometimes after a battle you'll uh, the 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 twins uh at the at the velvet room will be like hey there's a fusion alarm going on and then that that means that when you go visit the velvet room while that alarm is on when you um fuse a persona they'll have like higher uh like stat bonuses when you fuse them and like more skill slots that like you can uh, transfer skills into and at the cost of like okay you can only do this once because if you do it again it'll be an automatic fusion accident and that'll be unpredictable i'll just say i don't like, remember exactly what i was doing it for but i remember abusing that fusion alarm system where like you get into so many battles create a fusion alarm go to the velvet room i forget exactly what i was doing but some sort of fusion or item giving or something and then leave so you don't do an accident and then you can set it up again it's not like terribly tedious, but I remember it's sort of like exploitative in terms of like abusing right. it to. Yeah, so I, yeah, I was doing it at the ship palace because every time you got like into like one or two battles at the ship palace, it'll just automatically trigger it. And then the 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 flip side is like if you want to like trigger that outside into the real world, um, the fortune confidant has a she can do this thing called celestial reading where you pay twenty k to trigger a fusion alarm but only once per day so the ship palace is like oh you could get free fusion alarms if you want and the, mm -hmm. the, the way it links to ultimate weapons is um 
in the base game, you can itemize personas. So you can just like basically exchange personas for items. So during fusion alarms, you can get like upgraded uh, versions of like what would consider normally be considered like the like the ultimate weapons of the base version. If fusion alarms like they upgraded even higher, just like one tier or more. So like, hey, this weapon has like great stats, and then it would cause cause like a middle chance of shock uh, normally. But if you fuse like the higher version, it'll cause high shock, so a higher chance for the shock ailment on them. So. Like what I've been doing with my money, the long story short, is I've been fusing like these high tier personas that I pay like, you know, like a uh, hundred or so K and then itemize them. And then uh, since they're my compendium, I just like get them for my compendium again after I make the ultimate weapon. And it's like I, and I just have so much money that it's like it's not even a big bother. You know, I feel like very, I don't very know. broadly. I feel I, I said this when I I talked about this game on the podcast way back in like april or may mm-hmm. and i i'm kind of at odds to this because i feel like persona 5 royal just throws generally too many conveniences at you oh yeah there's a lot oh, of ways where it just makes soapbox. things really easy yeah it's just like you get so much money it's really easy to get money you almost don't even have to think about it and then with that you can do so many different things with like the new fusion alarm system the game gives you more time so you can max out confidants which of course give you various other bonuses like the massage the massages from the teacher and whatnot. Right so on I just my grave. Feel like, yeah, the best, the best, <laughs> the best games are the ones, or the ones that I that feel inconvenience you slightly. <laughs> they have to inconvenience you to a small extent, and you have to work through them. That is the most powerful feeling in an RPG, especially. And games True. that overly convenience you just end up feeling, to me, anyways, incredibly bland. Anyways, like I haven't played Persona Five, so I don't want to chime before the that. Continue. Look, I, I, I get, yeah, I get you. I, I'm totally with you on that because right now it just feels like I have like the the keys to the vault way too early. Now I just like I have to go through this game and basically like burn days because like I, I have to progress the game somehow uh, through that. And it's just I don't know. It's still a fun game, but like I something has to happen like in the brand new content like for me to really be like, yeah, this is totally worth. The, the whole journey to it because right now i'm just like i don't know i'm not i'm at a loss what to do in that game i'll be interested to hear your words on it because i know a lot of people love the new content i kind of feel like i'm against the grain and i just didn't i probably won't say more than that to try to you know color your, your expectation or whatever but it'll be interesting to hear what you what you think of it i, I do like that um all the just the, the small touches like when it, when i was like looking at like Okay, like how does this game actually look compared to the original version and whatnot? And it's definitely like a cleaner, like like polish to the game. Like obviously I think I mentioned weeks ago, like the like the, the the subtle like change like a thinner font size really did big things, but even like the the way they designed like the dialogue boxes and like the the portraits we draw on the portraits and having a little bit more variety to the portraits and like when they call you on the, uh, on their cell phone, like just having that little portrait like fizzle. Like noise as they speak is like it's nice, it's nice little things that like add up to like make it more refined. Because definitely, you look back on that original version, it's like oh man, this is definitely rough. And uh, that that was a game that was made for the PS3, so like just the overall like visual quality was like yep, that was definitely made for that system. And now just like it just feels a little bit more crisp, a little bit more clean. Mm-hmm. So that like it just it's easier to like on the eyes to play. Like even though you know the original was already really good just on the strength of the aesthetic alone but you know it there, there's a lot to like about this game but i feel like as you you and brian mentioned it's like it 
you get to where you want to be probably 40 hours before like reaching the quote unquote end, I guess. <laughs> I get what you mean. Just yeah, but I'll, I'll work through it. I'll try, I'll try to have it done before our game of the year cast. That's, that's my um, goal right now. My goal is to have it done before cyberpunk, but then that didn't work out because I, I forgot how just long the back half of that game is. So like the spaceport dungeon was like, there are there are definitely like changes. There's small improvements all over the yeah. place. Yeah, but they're still pretty long. Like the spaceport is yeah. still it's, it's it's a little bit more condensed. I feel like, but it still stretches out, and the th- the narrative behind that still kind of drags, in my opinion. I didn't like the narrative behind that, and then like the ship palace is like it's still yeah. <laughs> what about the casino? I think the spaceport, the casino, and the ship, like. All those dungeons are just kind of a slog, to mm-hmm. be honest. The casino was okay for me because I like it, yeah. like because of the, the theme of it, like complemented the gameplay systems well. Like I was willing to like okay, like they're trying to do something with it, but the the, the things you do in spaceport and the ship like don't even make sense. Like oh, and in in the, the ship you're turned into mice. Yeah. Why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he sees you a rodents, I guess. Okay, I guess. At least the at least the spaceport got rid of the um in Persona Five Royal. They got rid of some of the like sneak around and steal a card sort of thing. I forget exactly what it was, but now you can just sort of brute force fight like a mini boss and get it instead. Okay, so, that's hot. Yeah, I was trying to think. It was, like, it was a little different. But I'm I'm working through that. I'm 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 almost there. I'm almost at the at the new things they were uh, uh, marketing for this game. You only have mm-hmm. to spend only o- almost 100 hours to get there, literally. All right, so that's two long RPGs talked about. Uh, James. Let's make it a third. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> well, um, I guess I'll start with the one that isn't a long RPG. Uh, so in between, like, finishing up uh, the Taiko no Tatsujin, um Rhythmic Adventure Pack review, which is up on the site now. Uh, I I guess I'll talk about that, actually. Uh, talked about it a bit last week. The um, It's kind of hard to call it a singular game, because it really isn't. It's, like, the title suggests it's a pack of, like, the two... Uh, well, two of the three 3DS games. Like, they actually had titles in Japan, but they've kind of sanitized, and now they're just... Rhythmic Adventure 1 and Rhythmic Adventure 2, which is kind of... I don't know if this is nitpicky, but it feels really sanitized. I'm not sure how I feel about that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, they're actually RPGs, unlike uh, some other games that I've taken a look at recently that sold themselves as having RPG components. So that's nice. But it's also like, well, the only reason they could have justified releasing this at all as if there was something to differentiate it from Drum and Fun, which came out on Switch in 2018 and was already a Tyco game on Switch. So it makes sense that these story modes would actually be something different because otherwise it's like, well, why not just sell the songs as DLC for the existing game otherwise? Um, enjoyed it, I'd say, but... One you thing... Had some, you had some uh, criticism of, like... The font and localization. Yeah, the localization in general feels like it was basically paid for. Or, well, it feels like it was done in some intern spare time because it's it's functional. It's functional, but it's not good. It's very not good. <laughs> like, I feel like broadly the Tycho series 
has enough interest to make a localization worthwhile, but not to spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> so they probably just had bare bones resources in terms of time and people to do it. Yeah. So, to put in perspective, I finished Rhythmic, uh, Rhythmic Adventure 1. Honestly, I didn't touch too much Rhythmic Adventure 2 because it's more of the same. It's more of the same. But um, at least for Rhythmic Adventure 1, they didn't even bother to translate the uh, credits. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's something. Uh, also, uh, I did mention that in Rhythmic Adventure 1, there is a kind of concerning stereotype in there. Like, uh, like, Oh, the Okama stereotype is in, like, a ton of Japanese games. Like, I had Somnium Files had it last year. Obviously, like, speaking of Persona 5, Persona 5 has it. Though, I would say, in most cases, it's not... Well, it's... I'm not the one to talk about this. I'll just say that out, outright. But one thing's clear is that the way that's presented in this Taiko game, which you might say, oh, that's nitpicking. It's like a... it's not supposed to be taken seriously, but one of the, the enemies in the stories in Okama, and it's like very, very like they're not painted in a good light whatsoever. Whereas like in Insomnium Files or in Persona 5, they're at worst, like they're treated as decent people. So it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you take one of those so in Okama is like it's sort of like a character in drag. Is that yeah. what it is? I mean, I don't know like the nuances there, but that's broadly what it is. And then if you place that character as an antagonist, you're just you got to be careful. And I I'm I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't. So yeah, it, awkward to talk about, but yeah, um, translation issues. Besides that, also exist. There's like some translation errors that aren't a huge deal because of the scope of the game in the first place not being super large. But um, yeah, not very, not very good. It, it it works, it works. It's just like, man, I wish they could have done a little bit better. Though I understand why not. Uh, my bigger issue from a gameplay perspective probably comes down to the fact that so you have regular Taiko mode, which is separated from the story modes for both of these games. And one thing I was hoping for, since this was a combination of these two titles, was being able to go into Taiko mode and be able to play any of the songs from either of the game's track lists without having to back out and go to the other game to switch to a song that's in a different game than the one that you're currently in. Unfortunately, you, you have to do that. So if you're playing a song in Rhythmic Adventure Pack 1, and then you want to play a different song that's only in Rhythmic Adventure Pack 2, you have to back out of Taiko mode to the main menu for that game, then back out again to the choose the game like menu, then you have to go into the other game, go into Taiko mode, then choose that song, and it's aggravating. Like I understand why they did it. Because it's literally just a dual pack and separated yeah. with the same menu. But you know what that actually reminds me of? Yeah. Like the last year's release of the Digimon Cyber Story games. It's not obviously it's not the same but they it, that dual pack actually did sort of cross link the two games in terms of like digimon that were only available in the uh the sidequel the second game showed up and that were available now in the first one sort of thing so they actually did some sort of like not just placing the two games like on the same part but actually adding yeah. content from one to the other 
sort of thing and meshing the two. And it would be nice if Tycho maybe would have done that with the Tycho mode. Like, here's all the songs from both games, and you can just play them here sort of thing. But they did Also, um, a little disappointing that none of the DLC tracks from the 3DS games made it into this package. Like, taken on its own, like, the amount of songs that are included in this is nothing to scoff at. Like, it's over 100 songs. That's very good for a rhythm game. I, I don't know the exact MSRP for this. I, I'm not sure if it's 50 or 60, but either way, I'd say it's worth it if you're at all a Tyco fan. It's just, there's these little problems, like the localization and the incohesiveness of the track list and the fact that you can't even use the drum accessory, which I don't have on Switch in the first place because I didn't want to have to rebuy it for Switch because I have the PS4 drum. But... You can't use that in the story mode. And I can kind of understand why, because it's like there is actually an overworld map where you're walking around and there's random encounters. And they probably don't want you to have to switch from your pro controller or joy cons to the drum controller every time a random encounter happens. I guess that's valid, but I mean, the choice should still be there. <laughs> it's just all those little things add up. And it's like, it's, it, it's fine, but. So how is the, so is the combat in this game like like mini songs that you have to like okay like mini rhythm games like I'm, I just I, I'm literally trying to like envision it in my head and I don't know like so, what does it look like so the way it works is that so in the story you have random encounters where you basically just play a song and the way it works is is that your characters or your party will attack as long as you're continuing a combo and enemies will attack if you get if you either miss notes or if you only hit okay instead of good. And there are attributes to, to each of your party members. Like some will have like their combat speed determines how quickly they'll be able to react. So if it's slow, it means they're going to have to do a long, like maybe 50 note combo in order for an attack to come out. But generally those attacks are going to be stronger. Whereas a very fast, you probably only need like 25 to get a combo out or something and it won't do as much damage. And then each of your like party members that you either get through the story itself or through like a random chance. Like, so after you finish a battle, there's a random chance for one of the enemies you faced to just randomly join your party. And there's a surprising number of like different characters that you can actually just add to your party just based off of random encounters and they decide to join you after the fact. So this is maybe getting to the weeds a little bit, but so I understand broadly, okay, the better you do at the rhythm, you know, the better you're, you're going to be in combat because basically the enemy will get less attacks. But how does like different characters affect that? Like what do the characters actually do? Well, besides the attributes for like how fast they attack, but they, they might have also other abilities. Like one, for example, that I use for like the majority of my playthrough was uh, there's a little side quest where you can run into a Palico from Monster Hunter 4 in, in the overworld on one of the maps. And you do a little fight with them against the uh, Gormagala from Monster Hunter 4. And if you win, they become part of your party for good. One of those Palicos has the ability to um, basically, the more attacks they do, the more buffed your entire party becomes. And they're a fast attacking character, so you're, it's kind of like a rolling like effectiveness for your attacks, because the more attacks that they get out, the stronger each individual attack for every party member becomes. 
And then there's certain um, party member types that are big, because by default, you can have like up to four like party members at any given time, uh, not including Don Chan. Uh, and there's some units that are big that take up two slots. They have more health, they have more attack, they generally have more interesting skills. Uh, there's also different... Um, this doesn't really deal with in combat, but there's different types of uh, party members. Like, they're, like, depending on the enemies, there might be yokai, there might be uh, plants, there might be like uh, aquatic. And then there's like different items that you can get that allows you to upgrade specific types of party members, like maybe level them up, give them extra attributes. And then there's like all sorts of like books you can find that allow you to give a party member a specific skill or swap out the ones that they have. So it's like, this isn't a so huge... It actually seems like there's some solid RPG-ness to this. Oh yeah, it's like a 10 hour, well, eight to 10 hours, and then there's like side quests. It's like, it's not huge, but there's like two of them, and then there's like the regular rhythm game mode. And I mean, I'd say that it it is legitimately a decent RPG type game. So... If you're at all a yeah. fan of Psycho and you want to try something a bit different, it's probably worth it for that alone. It's just like, yeah, I, and, and I'm sure part of it's the fact that I have played these games before. Because I, even before Tyco started to get localized, I've been like <laughs> importing these for a while. Like to, just to put it on the record, uh, Tyco uh, V version on Vita, I literally own all of the DLC. Is that a lot? <laughs> That's over $100 worth of DLC. <laughs> Okay. So to say I'm a big fan of the series is to put it lightly. Uh, just yeah. so, um, but yeah, it's it's good. There are problems with it, but I mean, most of the, I I guess some of the more territory problems are just stuff that matters more to me. If you're just a very casual fan of the series, this is all new to you. If you haven't picked up any DLC for Drum and Fun, this is definitely a valid way of getting a bunch more songs to play without spending, like... It's funny, because when you talk about song DLC for rhythm games, it's like, there's some rhythm games where each individual song is going to be, like, 2 or $3, and then there's some where it's, like, Project Eva Future Tone, where, like, half the songs, like, over 100 songs is, like, 20 bucks. And then you look at Tyco, where it's like kind of in the middle, where you can get song packs for five bucks. It gives you like four or five songs, which is definitely not the best deal, but it's better than some of the rhythm games in the industry. So, and speaking of rhythm games, uh, another game I played this week, the other one that I've played that wasn't one that I've already talked about on the podcast was. Uh, so I actually didn't know that Demo Reborn had come out on PC until I saw Wario 64 tweet about a sale like a few days ago. So Demo's one of those rhythm games originally started out on mobile. And I feel like a, a large swath of the rhythm game like industry is kind of predominantly on mobile phones these days. You have stuff like Citus, you have Voas, you have Demo, and then you have other games like obviously the uh Love Live is on, a, it, it has a mobile game, right? Yeah, Love Live has a mobile game. Love right? Live. So, coming to PS4 mm-hmm. next year. Let so, me yeah. just uh, preface this by saying I don't know anything about Demo other than that it's a rhythm game. Like, I don't know if it's like a brand or a, a licensed thing or whatever. I don't know. It, it, I don't it's know a, anything. A game series now. I'm trying to remember who the developers were. It's I want to say it's Rayark because yes, I'm pretty sure it's Rayark. So, 
the big thing with Demo is that all of its songs are predominantly focused on piano. And like, it does have a storyline to it. So it's a bit like kind of a, I guess a bunch of Rayarch's mobile rhythm games have a similar deal. Cause like, I haven't played Citus 2 in a while, but I do understand that that has like a kind of wild story that oh, people yeah. have. Citus 2 is insane storyline. <laughs> So it's like, I should get back to that, but I'm, I'm holding out hope that that'll get ported to Switch like Cytus Alpha did, because what, man, Rayark and their mobile games and their prices for adding extra songs to your game is poo boy. Oh, yeah, but they're re- but they're really good at like the VOAs for on Switch. I was like one of the first games I got on Switch, and like I really liked it because it was like very like touchscreen focused, and the, like they have ongoing support for VOAs, like just randomly dropping like you know, like more and more tracks to an already big, big track list for free, like on a yearly basis. I yeah. Like, so props to them on that. Yeah. So generally, I do like Rayark's uh, rhythm games. They're probably one of the largest players in the rhythm game space these days, just simply due to the fact that they have a lot of support on mobile. And then they also bring most of those games to Switch eventually and all that. Well, so Demo Reborn is a remake of Demo. And I, I think it's Unreal Engine. It looks like an Unreal Engine game. It's 3D, which I'm kind of mixed feelings about because, like, Demo's original art style, from what I've seen, is a very charming, like, 2D, almost watercolor-esque visuals. And you kind of uh, lose some of that charm when you bring it to uh, Unreal Engine. It looks very, like, it looks visually good, but the art style is kind of lost. Um um, but I've been playing it. Uh, two thoughts. Uh, one, I can tell that the note maps haven't actually been changed for mobile, and they've just kind of changed the controls to as closely accommodate the note maps as they could on a keyboard or a gamepad. Uh, so by default, there are, well, not even by default. So you have, it's a six button control input. And but the thing is, though, is that as the notes are coming flying, flying down, they're not specifically locked into place for these six quadrants. Instead, their color codes let you know, even if they're not exactly on the same quadrant, this button will be able to play this note because they just dropped the note maps from the mobile version onto PC and PS4 and whatnot. And they didn't make really any major adaptations to make it work which is disappointing like there's these like slide notes which isn't uncommon for uh touchscreen rhythm games by any means or any like yeah by any means but while you can kind of just like try and deal with those notes using the like six inputs they're not great to deal with on keyboard or even on like gamepad because sometimes you'll have um, notes that basically take place on this, even though they're like, they're moving in a set in a different direction. Like the two, like two notes directly next to each other still require the same input, even though they're very clearly different notes because of the way that the control scheme has been adapted for a non-touchscreen interface. And basically the way that they've dealt with that is that if you just hold down the space bar, it'll automatically play those types of notes with no input besides that required. And I don't know how I feel about that. That feels weird. 
Yeah, apparently if you do use a gamepad, you can instead kind of trace those notes with like the analog sticks, which is something. But then you're moving your thumbs from the actual regular button inputs. Because sometimes it, I, I just, um, I mean, it works. Because again, that's how it would have worked on mobile uh, to a certain degree. But it's just, it feels messy to the point where like, I'm enjoying the game much more for its kind of like puzzle aspect. Like exploring the world, like figuring out puzzles. It's very much like an advent, like a an old school like PC adventure game. The way that it showcases like puzzles, you have to figure out how to do certain things, to unlock new songs, to continue on. And I'm enjoying it. Though uh, one thing I will say is that I haven't actually played the original demo. I'm not completely familiar with the story. I'm not sure if you have, Josh, but I'm just gonna ask. Yeah, I've I've didn't get into demo like I I have I have it, but I never really got into it. I I, I have Boas, I have Cytus. I, I will say it seems it's it seems one of those games that like like I would really like its story though. Yeah. I will say that I'm not sure if this is just something that happens in Demo Reborn, but as I'm going through it, it feels very blunt about what the story twist is going to be well before you're getting to it. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just misreading the room entirely, but it just feels very, very blatant for what the story twist is going to be. I think they're also making like a CG movie of it, right? Something like that. Well, I guess that would make sense if they already have like some of the assets, but it's just, I mean, it's good. I'm enjoying it, but it's like, if I were well, not going to, I'd never review it here for RPG site because it's on RPG, but I'd say similar to Tycho, uh, it's a good rhythm game, but it has its faults. Uh, I guess the best way to put it is, is that I already own the demo DLC for DJ Max Respect uh, V. And uh, once I'm finished with the story of Demo Reborn, I'm probably never going to touch it again. And if I want to play any demo songs, I'm probably just going to play them on DJ Max. Yeah, the the weird thing about like these games that I um have were first like supported on mobile and like have a mobile interface or touchpad in mind for for that. Cause like I really enjoy rhythm games that have like more like feedback, like say when you're like going through hold notes, like it there's like a subtle vibration like underneath your finger as you're going through hold notes. Like I like that kind of feedback uh, when it comes to rhythm games, and like it, that's why it's always weird when it comes to like consoles or um, or PC when it doesn't have that sort of uh, feedback as you're going through the notes. But yeah, um, so that's been fun. Uh, I'm not sure how far exactly I'm in, I am into it. I feel like I'm about halfway or something like that. Probably going to keep playing it. Probably going to finish it up since it's like not too long from what I can tell. Uh, but I've played more Labyrinth of Galleria this week, unsurprisingly. And how many so, hours? Hmm? How many hours are you in? Uh, so I basically doubled my play time. I was at 15 hours last week. I'm now at 30. Uh, the story is finally starting, well, the story is definitely starting to pick up. There's some interesting little tidbits here and there. Um, there's a character that takes a huge role in the story that wasn't shown in pre-release stuff, but they come into play so early on that I feel like I could kind of mention them. I do not know the romanization for their name, unlike Eureka, so I'm just going to say their name is Nachidu. Uh, and they are a second witch in the story that is young, about Eureka's age, and they've basically been, for whatever reason, been hanging around 
the um, Galleria investigating it, and they're trying to figure out what the master of the gallery is actually trying to do, what they're up to. And obviously there is a dynamic between them and uh, Eureka that's uh, very cute. Uh, Nachiru is very much one of those characters where they try to act tough, but then the words and their actions don't line up. So it's mm. kind of so it's kind of cute. It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to help you. Proceeds to help you anyways. <laughs> okay. And then there's like even a scene where like the uh, like Madame Marta like is away for like a few days, and basically you're there's just like character interactions between Eureka and Nachiru, and Nachiru is like giving like the player character upgrades while Marta's away, and then she comes back and she's like, man, for all your all you're saying, you sure have uh, become very, uh, you sure have been not, very friendly while I was gone. It's not like I was worried about you or anything. Yeah, stuff like that. So, um, would you say the the feel of Labyrinth of Galleria's style? Like, I know you and Adam are very emotionally invested and attached to Labyrinth of Refrain. Does that, like, is there a different feeling to Labyrinth of Galleria? Or? From the get-go, like, and I mentioned this last week on the podcast, but the character dynamics between, say, like Eureka and Madame Marta, and now Eureka and Nachiru is very different. Like, Nachiru kind of has similar, like, or tries to be similar to Dranya, but she isn't actually mean. She she play, she teases maybe a little more than Marta does, but at the end of the day, it's very clear that she is a good person and that she's uh, not. Would you characterize this as a more, at, at, at least at where you're at right now, like a more lighthearted premise than Refrain? Yes and no, because I can already tell, like, there's there's some things that are very clearly, like, under the surface that are, that's going to get darker. Uh, but I will say that whereas Labyrinth of Refrain was very edgy and very clearly, like, dark from the get-go, Galleria doesn't have that per se like you can tell it's there and that's coming up but it doesn't assault you with it from like the very first moment if that makes sense i yeah. wouldn't say refrain was edgy it just kind of felt like i definitely was off i definitely it, like, it felt like une uneasy or off to me I, maybe that's just like semantics but um, I, i'm gonna have to disagree with you there did you forget about the troll dungeon yeah <laughs> That was edgy. I was thinking about it. Not more the dungeon, but more the uh, the like the storyline and refrain. It just sort of like starting out, it just kind of felt off. Yeah. But maybe you were talking more about this the dungeon tones rather than like the storyline. Well, well it, it was even edgier in the well, not edgier than that, but it was definitely edgy in the actual story too. I'd say. Whereas we're well, and there are bits of gallery where it's like, oh, that's uh, interesting, but it's very much the tone is a more gradual shift, it seems like. Unless it, though, it might be, though I might get to a point where it's like, okay, it seems actually kind of low-key and relaxed, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, switch is flipped, and it's like, oh no, we're back to Latin for Refrain's uh, style edginess, or something well, like to that. Be, I kind of would hope that this game would have, like, different character dynamics and a different, you know, tone, and hopefully direction. You know, I don't want them to just... yeah. 
to be an echo of the first game. Like I will say do the same thing again. I will say it's definitely not an echo though. That's one thing for mm-hmm. sure. Unless they really go out of left field, which I'm not anticipating. It's got similarities to a frame story, but it is its own narrative, which is nice to see. Uh, like I said last week, I was feeling like um, there was going to be more of an emphasis on story this time around. I'm far enough to say that, yes, there is very much more of an emphasis on story. There's more characters than there were in Labyrinth of Refrain, with the caveat that the dungeon crawling and the way that the story ties into the dungeon itself is very different. So, mm-hmm. like I mentioned last week, the way that storytelling happened in Labyrinth of Refrain is that each of the individual dungeons kind of had their own small storyline. That's not the case here. Instead, the dungeons in Galleria, partly because of the way that you're searching for these cursed artifacts and whatnot, is much more open-ended. And instead of specifically like exploring these dungeons for a storyline, at least so far, it's more of the focus of searching for these items and then you're given direction oh maybe you should search maybe here's one thing you might be able to do to continue onward and then like when you reach like a roadblock you go back you have more story you get your new ability you head back in you find what you need to find pop out story much more of a focus on the story this time outside of the dungeons which i don't necessarily think is a bad thing it's just i do think the way that it worked in refrain was a bit refreshing for the genre and well, it is nice to have this more open-ended, like, dungeon-crawling experience and looking for, and, like, these kind of mini-puzzles to find these, like, optional cursed artifacts and whatnot. I do think that one of the things I really enjoyed about Refrain were those, like, miniature story arcs. So if somebody was really a big fan of Refrain for those, they might be a bit disappointed, but I don't necessarily think it's any worse. It's just a different take on the formula. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've unlocked a few more abilities. I'm not sure. Did I talk about it last week where you get the ability to go into these, like, organic, like, cursed areas that you have a certain number of steps and there's, like, a sanity meter? Did I talk about that at all? I don't think you talked about that. No, that doesn't sound familiar. So, in certain parts of the dungeon, you eventually get this ability to walk into these very organic, very, like, old god-looking ass areas of the dungeon (laughs) where there's literally a sandy meter and as you're walking it goes down and once you lose all your sandy each step takes away health from you and the enemies in there are much stronger than the enemies outside of those sections so while you can beat them you don't really want to fight them if you can avoid it um there are sections in these dungeon in these like dungeon sections that you can like replenish your sanity and there is like it's a very different type of uh, feeling for, um, compared to the rest of the dungeon because like the rest of the dungeon is like kind of take your own pace, exploring at your leisure, whereas these, it's like, okay, got to get through these as quickly as possible while avoiding the yeah, minimize number of steps. Yeah, and it really like gives you a bit more tension, which is interesting. Uh, I did get a few new abilities. Uh, I think I mentioned the magic light uh, last time, which lets you kind of like show residue and help you, helps you with some puzzle solving. That's still a thing. Uh, but you also get a dark light feature that lets you um, kind of dispel illusions. So one of the things in the game is that there's like these little kind of like markers that let you know if some uh, some uh, if if there's a pitfall in front of you. But there might be some sections where there's a bunch of those, and you're like, 
well, all of these can't be pitfalls. So you turn on the dark light and you find out, okay, this one, this one, and this one aren't actually pitfalls or fake. I can just walk through them, no problem. There's sections where unless you use the dark light, you can't tell that, oh, this wall is just fake. I can walk right through it and um, stuff like that. Very interesting. Uh, you is it like the feeling of the game is going through a dungeon, like you have to like check all these residue and using this light, is it? It's not super busy work. It's Okay, uh, yeah, you're getting what I was getting at. So like... I was wondering if it, how, how, how it feels going through a dungeon with these sort of considerations. Kind of hard to describe, but the way that the dungeons are designed, generally each floor will have certain things that it wants you to use. So you'll get a feeling for what you want to check as you're going through it. Mm -hmm. So you have a, you'll have a goal in mind. So Yeah. And yeah, so I've been enjoying it quite a bit. Um, it is different from Refrain in some ways, but not in necessarily worse ways. It's just different. I am enjoying the storyline. I am enjoying the gameplay. Uh, I unlocked a few new facets, including one where you literally just one of your pup, like one of your types of puppet soldiers or cats, which is adorable. <laughs> I saw that they have you have a cat. Yeah, you have a cat class. So yeah, like little cats. Yep. Um, made one named it after my cat. So yeah. hopefully they don't die. Well, they're a support class, so chances are they're <laughs> um, But yeah, I, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I'm excited to see what else. Uh, I am getting the impression, uh, just based off looking at the trophies, that once you gather all of these like major cursed items, there is going to be a shift in the story, because like, there's like a huge gulf in the number of people that have unlocked the last of those, those items, like the trophy for that on like, PSN profiles, versus the trophy for beating the main story. So it's like, there's a large gap between like getting that and then actually finishing the story. So I'm imagining that there's going to be any like turning point for the narrative. It'll happen around there. So I'm looking forward to that, seeing where things go. Uh, it's going to be a long game. I already know. Cause even though I'm only like 30 hours in, I'm like, okay, well I feel like I'm a decent chunk in, but I've been yeah. keeping up with like looking at this one, like streamers, like, VODs to see, okay, well, how like how quick am I going compared to him? Am I going slower? Am I going faster? I'm about on par. Like I mentioned, he finished the base game in like 92 hours, and he beat the uh, post game in like 142. So it's like, I'm in hit for the long haul. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, so I'm enjoying it. Still very good. Uh, and it, uh, and Ice America, please announce a localization. Uh, and I guess also a really quick update, much as I was fearing, I mentioned that the game bombed in Japan last week. It sold less than 9,000 on PS4 first week, and the Vita version didn't even chart. PS4 version is out of the charts already. Obviously, the Vita version is the same. So it seems like if they're lucky, the game has sold over 15,000 copies in Japan but that's not great, especially with how much voice acting is in this game. Especially, they gotta, they gotta get the Thirteenth Sentinel treatment of like where that game didn't really have spectacular sales, so they had to like kind of get it through word of mouth and like gotta, gotta get the Japanese magazines and like get like various <sighs> Japanese game developers say, "All right, please uh, play this game." Like, just what they really should have done. <laughs> really good things about it. Like I said last week, as much as I'm enjoying playing this game on Vita, even if it's really really weird playing a sequel to a game i played on switch on vita never thought that would ever happen 
there is no logical reason that the Vita version for this should have existed when the Switch already has the game's engine, because this is very clearly the same engine as Labyrinth of Refrain. Labyrinth of Refrain is on Switch. Why did they release this on Vita over Switch? It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. And it's not like NISJ isn't releasing games on Switch. They released Rat Rat Dead on Switch. It just makes no sense to me. But, ah, well. I also think just Dungeon Crawlers have a higher barrier of entry just in general to most games. And like I mentioned last week, I feel like the way this game is designed, it feels like it's kind of explicitly, like, the dungeons are designed with folks that already played Refrain, like, in consideration. Because there is a bit more complexity from the get-go, which, well, I I feel like the dungeon, until you got to, like, dungeon, like, five, things were kind of simple layout-wise, and Refrain, I feel like. Is that the towers? Yeah. That was the first one that I recall being, like, kind of crazy <laughs> i really like that tower in the frame yeah, so, it was it was it was a good dungeon yeah but yeah so you, you get more complexity from the get-go and obviously with more added mechanics that obviously that just adds to it but yeah I, I mean i feel like it was always going to do worse than the first game even though the first game did do relatively well in japan it's just it really should have had a switch version day and date i don't know what the hell they were thinking and Adam, did you have any games you want to talk about this week or nah? Not really. I've been playing more Sakana and I enjoyed it more than Josh did. So I can like fight him over it. <laughs> I mean, I'll like, with you. Like, I don't necessarily I disagree with what Josh's takes were. You know, he's, he was critical on the, on the things like using the Raymont in battle or on the, on the field. It's only eight way. So it's kind of awkward and you'll, you'll do, you will spend times like shooting out your, effectively your grappling hook and just not hitting anything um and some of the time passage stuff is weird um also i will say that like this game does give you a lot of equipment and ways to modify equipment and it's there's a lot of flexibility there but i also feel like um a lot of it's just not very useful so you're gonna be chances are certain there's various equipments that just seem like way more useful than others. And it's like, why would you ever use this? Like I'm using the garment that I got relatively early that raises my stats in winter. And winter is generally when you're going to be doing more fighting stuff anyway, because you're not doing any growing on your farm. So that's like a really useful piece of equipment. And I've gotten like several pieces of equipment since, but there's just like, it's, they're not as useful. So I kind of feel like there's maybe some balance stuff that isn't great, but I, I do like some of the the design mechanics and, themes around the game otherwise and it looks great and it's just it's unique it has a very strong identity it knows what it is i think so i'm just still playing that i'm near the end it'll be cool to see it crop up again uh, when we go to our big game of the year talk and see if it ends up in the top 10 what's uh, what's your average count right now uh adam um probably let me see i've done some idling but let me check my steam 45 hours Oh, okay, yeah. All right, and with that, we will move into the topical section. We have a lot to talk about in terms of end-of-the-year announcements and what came out of the Game Awards in terms of RPG-related things. Not a ton, but a few things. Like the biggest news of the day, of the week, of the year, is that... Yeah, because... Uh, uh, no. 
a certain Square Enix character that starts with an S that's shown up in Kingdom Hearts is coming to Smash. It is Sephiroth. <laughs> <laughs> if George is here, he would like die right yeah, now. Yeah, I feel like what a, what a bummer that he's not around. If he was here, I could have just like imagined him whimpering or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but hmm. I think I actually broken. did this a little bit out of order. Uh, a few callouts, but yeah, Sephiroth and Smash. Uh, not really RPG news, not really, but funny and humorous well, enough that I should call it out. He did kill Mario, so that's yes. worth it. I can't yeah. believe Mario's fucking dead. Yeah, Luigi, yeah, Luigi died two years ago, and now Mario. What a shame. <laughs> Is it just like a mandate that for a character trailer for Smash Ultimate, either Mario or Luigi needs to bite the bullet? Because <laughs> it keeps happening. It turns for, out that's that's the most effective way to introduce new characters. Really freaking crushed his skull. Like, damn, man. Anyways, before we get on to actual real news, a few callouts. Uh, I already talked about Alex Donaldson's Cyberpunk review. Uh, Cullen did put up a review and a preview. The review is for Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Uh, basically, he thought pretty highly of it, except that it has kind of the typical drawbacks that you might expect from a Muzu, Muzo, how do you pronounce that? Dynasty Warriors-like game. Um, and then he also did the, in a similar vein, Persona 5 Strikers, we had a handoff hands-off preview where he was able to watch some footage with the developers talking him through it. Uh, so that's also up on the site. And then it's a good thing we had Adam talk about this just briefly. We did put up a little casual mode video about Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. So just about an hour of us playing through it and just taking a look at what the game is like, how it plays, how it looks, things like that. All right. Speaking of news, and maybe man, I, I'm kind of leapfrogging here, but Yes, Persona 5 Strikers. Uh, we kind of had the leak slash website reveal a week ago. And then we had a little bit of a, a showing for it at the Game Awards with the uh, musical performance. But now we've got an official announcement that Persona 5 Strikers will be releasing on February 23rd for PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, and Steam. And I think the, the new news there is the date, specifically, because the website... No, we knew the date already. Oh, yeah. we did? <laughs> I know the website yep. showed that we had the platforms. Well, the, the leak trailer had it. <laughs> oh well, yeah, I mean, I mean on an official basis. Ah, uh, so the, the, the date is now. Let's talk about man. The one where we had to like, oh, I don't know what are you talking about. See a teaser? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but right, what, so yeah, maybe... so so finally, strikers yeah. came out uh, <laughs> earlier this year. Uh, in uh, was it February in Japan this year? So it'll be February in the West yes. next year. Basically, we're getting it a year later. Yep. And it's basically, it. first of all, one key point is that it does not include additions from Persona 5 Royal. It is a sequel spinoff to base Persona 5 in the in the trappings of a Dynasty Warriors type game. Yeah, it, so, it follows the events of like the base version of Persona 5. So there's no Kasumi, there's no the Maruki Counselor. Um, there, there's none of those characters. They, I don't know if they acknowledge them in the game. I don't think so. Um, but like, it definitely, if you want to get into it and get the most out of the story, you'll want to play and beat Persona Five because, like, there are characters in it that only show up if you've beaten Persona Five, and it makes sense. Let's say they, when they were what I said specifically, is that. You can play the original Persona 5 or watch the anime, and you'll be good. Yeah, like, I mean, when they were, like, 
marking this in Japan, they, they did several fake outs where they, before they showed like the actual striker's name, they like, they like, they had a two after the title. Like this is essentially yeah. the closest thing to a persona five two that there probably will be considering that like persona four, like one of its spinoffs was actually like a Canon sequel as much as I loathe to admit. Arena. Yeah. Well, no, that wasn't the Canon one. I think it was actually, wasn't the, Dancing all night, the one that oh, was dancing uh, or something like and, that. Well, and technically, technically, uh, the Q games are also canon, even though no one like they canonically don't remember it. So it's just kind of whatever. Uh, canon does not matter as much as certain people think it does. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> I that. but I am interested to play Persona Five Strikers. Uh, I don't play too many uh, Warriors type or Muso games, but I have enjoyed what I have played and. From import impressions of Strikers, it seems like it's a very good one. So, yeah. And Colin said this in his preview, too. And he also imported the game. So he previewed it, but he's also played it. And many people say that it's not just, like, Persona-branded Dynasty Warriors. That it kind of is a better meshing of Persona uh, components and Dynasty Warriors-style, like, combat so I get a little bit more of a mesh. I feel I feel a little bit bad when like when people phrase it like that because it's kind of like beating up that Dynasty Warriors. It's like never still yeah. Like yeah. Dynasty Don't worry, yeah. it's not really like Dynasty Warriors. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way about Fire Emblem Warriors. Like I thought, I felt like that was a really good like Dynasty Warriors type game. My only major problem with it was like the roster, like. If they made a Fire Emblem Warriors 2 with a better roster, that would be really, really good, in my opinion. But that's kind of neither here nor there. Realize James now, you can, now, you can, now you can get familiar with those characters by playing limited time only Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light on Nintendo Switch. Uh, only available till, like, March. Cool. Yeah. God, that just reminds me of the memes people are making with that one still from the Sephiroth, Sephiroth reveal trailer. Where it's like... <laughs> March 31st, 2020. <laughs> I actually didn't see that, but that makes sense. That's good. <laughs> oh, with the Mario stuff ending in March as well. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Oh, the internet is terrifying and wonderful. I- I'm I'm excited for this uh, Persona 5 Strikers coming to Steam, uh, mainly because, like, cool, more Persona games on Steam, but also, like, I heard there's, like, there were weird problems with the Switch and PS4 version of that game. That uh, I remember talking to Colin briefly about it. Like there, were de- like there's like no like good middle ground between like quality and performance on that game between the two platforms. Because even on the PS4 version, he said like like there there was weird blurriness with the character models. I'm like that's weird. So hopefully, you know the the Steam version is like just if you want the best performance and the best looking version of that game, just come to Steam. That, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised that they, they're bringing it there. But, you know, it's also weird. It's like, oh, there's going to be a Persona 5 game on PC and Switch, and it's not like the original game. It's just, you know, the follow-up yep. original game. Endless speculation of other, perhaps older titles that could bring to Steam. Now that now it seems to be more of a, a trend rather than just an individual off. You know, We've got Catherine. two data points. Yeah. You can draw a line through it. I guess this this would be like the three right now if we count Catherine. True. Yeah, right place to like uh, mention that uh, ever since they added the Persona Five Strikers entry on Steam, there's like you know the whole create developer creators page on Steam now. 
like the banner uh, for Atlas uh, has like Jack Frost, Black Frost, Jack O' Lantern, and Raiho. Raiho, why would you put it there? Don't. <laughs> don't, don't false advertising. I mean, basically, an open secret at this point that Nocturne HD is going to come to PC. It feels like it hasn't been announced, but it feels like it's inevitable. Like any day now. I hope so. I It'd hope. be nice if when they announce the release date for the Western version, they just append on that's oh, yeah, it's coming to Steam too. It'd be nice, be nice if they just bring everything. I want my Kazunaha Raido games on Steam. That'd be Digital Devil Saga. Yeah, <laughs> I will take all of it. Yeah. I want to play all of it. Nocturne. Yep. That that yeah. that's just be us one year, dude. It's like, are you playing any new releases this year? No, I'm just going through Mega Ten re-releases on Steam. That's it. That's all. Digital Devil Saga. I would like, so I would cool. like the opportunity just to play through those for the first time. Awesome. Man, I'm so jealous. They're so good. Also announced at the Game Awards was this is actually kind of like surprising and a little bit under the radar, but Disco Elysium, the final cut, was announced for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series, X and S, Xbox One, Switch PC, and Stadia. And the reason why I'm saying PC again is because this isn't just a console port, which we kind of knew was on was coming, but they've added a ton of stuff to it, including Full voice acting, which is just insane. Because so this, this game, game has a ton of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. like not not even just the prose. There's a there's even more prose that probably won't be voiced because that's not. There's a lot of stuff that's not like said by a character. Like it's literally like a novel. But there's still a ton of like character dialogue. And if it's all fully voiced, that is nuts. To be honest, I know some people yeah. like to play these games and they actually don't prefer the voices. They'd rather have them in their heads. Uh, in their mind's eye or whatever. But I remember when I first played, the first game that I played that really made a big deal about everything being voice acted was Divinity Original Sin 2. And that game, I thought it like was really bolstered the game and really made it quite special. And I'm the sort of person that, with the exception of the topic before of being a first-person avatar character in an RPG, sometimes I think those work better without voices. But in every other case, I feel like voice dialogue is almost always better, unless it's like atrociously bad quality. I this Disco Elysium was that type of game that I never really anticipated that I would revisit because it's not really that sort of game. You kind of play through it once, you experience it, you take what you get from it, at least in my opinion. But now with this, I'm like, you know what? Why not? Maybe yeah. I will play this again with the voice acting and maybe be a different type of character. Uh, it I've been, you out- Go ahead. I've been wanting to finally play it because I like started it like a while ago, but kind of messed up by... Uh trying to get to do a little bit of everything and that game is not really designed for that you really need to kind of go ham on whatever choice you go for uh, so i wanted to restart it but at this point it's like oh well i guess i'll wait for this update then right and there'll be like additional things besides the voice acting right yeah that's what i was getting to so the way they, they said new quest a new area yeah go ahead New political vision quests. Face the reality of your worldview as your political compass leads you down to new paths. Discover more citizens, extra area, monumental sites, blah, blah, blah. So it does have like a quadrant of political beliefs. Like uh, one of them they call like ultra ultra fascism or something. And then like they they kind of mirror real world uh, political beliefs, but they're kind of like exaggerated to extremes. Um, so apparently based on where you end up, based on the choices that you make, uh, you'll have more quests available to you. And then also another kind of clerical note is that this is a free upgrade to anyone who already owns the game, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Not everyone does that. 
So I think it's a really unique game. It was one of our top five last year, I believe. And I think it was in my top yeah. three. So or maybe top two. Uh, very unique game that nothing else is really quite like it. It feels like a disservice to compare anything else to it. Not because it's simply better than all those, but just because it's simply way more different. <laughs> like bringing, bringing, evoking any comparison to this game, I think colors the expectation. I'm very interested not to see like like what, the, uh, what the interface of this game will be like on consoles, especially on Switch. Yeah, that's a good question. Some of the text is pretty small. Yeah. So on a big screen. Mm. Uh. But that was one of the more surprising announcements of the Game Awards. With the exception of this last one, which was kind of tucked away in, of all things, a Game Pass trailer that was just a montage of stuff coming to Game Pass in December. And then they're showing some Yakuza footage, which seeing Yakuza footage on a Game Pass reel is not really new news. We saw that for the Kiwami games in Zero. Until we realized that they were showing footage of Yakuza's 3, 4, 5, and 6 with a Game Pass console and PC logo. Eventually, this was elucidated on, showing that the Yakuza Remastered Collection and Yakuza 6, A Song of Life, are coming to PC and Xbox next year. Including on Game Pass, of course, as well as being on Steam, obviously. So this yeah, this fills this, this this advertisement was kind of weird. We were watching it in like our our chat room, and it was like, yeah, they're showing Gears, and they showed Doom Eternal. I think they showed like Greedfall because that's coming. And it's like, yep, these games that are already out and already, you know, they're getting they're going on to Game Pass. That's cool. And then like, oh, here's Yakuza. Wait, which Yakuza? <laughs> Wait, all, these are all the Yakuza. <laughs> it was just kind of yeah. tucked away. It just spiraled out of control after that point. And yeah, then, and then, that, I feel and like a half step after it, that. Go ahead, James. I feel like it's almost inevitable at this point that sometime next year, like Yakuza 7 is going to be part of Game Pass as well. Mm-hmm. Just, so it's like, like. And by the way, they're also coming to like Steam and all that too. Right. So, right. Which makes sense. That's where all the other ones have ended up. But it, it was mm-hmm. also like to, to follow up on Adam saying, like, this is all the Yakuza. It's like a split second after that. It wasn't only all the Yakuza's, but you saw the PC icon, which, like, oh, they're all getting PC ports. It's just crazy, and yeah. To, to further clarify, the this split up within like the Yakuza three, four, and five will be part of the remastered collection that's getting released on January, and then Yakuza six, Song of Life, Song of Life by itself, is getting released in March, and that's how the release dates for that um, are lining. And this will be a first, the first time, the first time we'll see Yakuza six in more than thirty FPS. That was only a PS4 exclusive until this point, and that was the first game on the dragon engine and that you know the it was their first shot at it it wasn't it didn't run all that great it was pretty you know all over the place in performance but you know i'm very excited to see what that game looks like in higher frame rates you know that's it's it's one of those games it's like i would say it's like it's like somewhat of an uneven experience but like there are very high highs in it like that is one of the games that like every time i watch the ending to it i will just like cry straight up it is it is so touching how they um wrap up kiryu's uh story in uh, yakuza 6 it's just crazy to think that january is next month next month it's it's late yeah, january, and like to be fair but still and four months from now four short months from now like every single mainline yakuza game will be on like steam and xbox that's insane man and they're on playstation 4 like, yep yeah, there, 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 there are a lot of great games in there. I'm, I'm looking forward to like more people playing through more Yakuza games and like getting the whole experience. This is such a cool announcement. I was so pumped. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and also now we're just missing I, I, I forget if we yeah i forget if we clarified this but uh in a follow-up tweet uh rg2 studio did mention that the the yakuza 3 4 and 5 will be available separately which is kind of interesting because they were oh, yeah. on ps4 so yeah how they uh yeah because when i ordered it like they came on like two discs and like there was like it, you had to get them in a bundle together so like like the first disc had like three and four on it, and then five had its own set, uh, its own disc uh, for when I got the PS4 collection. And that right, like rightly so, Yakuza Five is a big ass game. It is a massive game, probably the longest Yakuza game, besides like a dragon. I feel for anyone who has to play through Yakuza's three, four, and five back to back to back. Like if they really want to get to Yakuza Six. Like they, you have like a two month window between the two releases, so I'll probably oh, meter yeah. it out throughout the year. Yeah. Or I'll, I'll probably Enjoy play it. like three, three and four when they come out, then wait a while, get the lighter two. Just Look, cool to know that I have the option. I, I, I've I've done it. I've lived it. It can be yes. done. You can complete three, four, and five before six comes out <laughs> in two, two months. February just becomes the month of Yakuza. Playing yes, possible. But yeah, crazy because that was probably like one of the bombshell announcements of the Game Awards, and it wasn't even really presented quite like that. It was just like a yeah. Game Pass montage followed and, up with a tweet. For further context, it was also like in like one of the ad breaks where, you know, I know like all trailers are ads, but, you know, it's like in one of the breaks where they're just showing things that are already released or, you know, just advertisements for games. Like, oh, here's Game Pass. So, like, we weren't really expecting it to come then, right? So <laughs> it was surprising. Hmm. All right. Let's, let's go out of order from what we have listed here and just keep talking about other announcements at the Game Awards since that's the topic we're on at the moment. Uh, BioWare had two showings at the Game Awards for two franchises that obviously are very interested in at RPG site, Dragon Age and Mass Effect. So the next Dragon Age, with, with the title card that simply said Dragon Age, did get a CG trailer at the Game Awards, voiced over by Dragon Age 2 stalwart Varric. Uh, and basically just showed a lot of locations, a lot of little arts, you know, kind of tipping off the art direction of the game, not gameplay, CG trailer, ending with a shot of Solace as the Dreadwolf. Spoilers for Dragon Age 3. Uh, it might have been a little bit less than I think people might have been hoping for, because obviously this game has been incubating for a while now. They're hoping maybe to see something more than a CG trailer. But it's still more than they've shown for the game this far, which has mostly been like concept art and some like behind the scenes work on like model work. So it's cool to have the left bookend, if that makes sense. We've got the CG trailer announcing the Dragon Age project fully. So that's as a reminder, this game was originally kind of announced or really pre-announced at the Game Awards two years ago. That's when they sort of just stated that it's coming with some really very early, very, very early concept art only. So it's been two years since then. Yeah, so it's a little CG trailer. It's minute long, so it's honestly not much, but I think it's enough. Is of it course, a follow-up or reboot? That's the big question. Uh, it's Well, it seems like it's going to be a follow-up because of the way it's positioning Solas as a sort of antagonist, anti-hero. So it definitely mm-hmm. seems like, it feels like everything they've shown about it be appropriate to call it Dragon Age 4, but they've avoided that specific numbering. But I guess they also, they've already added, I guess they kind of stepped away from that already with Inquisition. So that's maybe, so it may just have its own unique subtitle, but it's the fourth game in a linear series. Uh, but 
They haven't said. They don't know the comic. Dragon Age for sure continues. Uh, <laughs> Duke Nukem forever. I gosh, I mentioned before we started recording, but then just there was this like one tweet where somebody took that like title that card saying Mass Effect will continue with a screenshot from a Scott the Waz video where he just said is that a threat? Nope. <laughs> All right. So so James has tipped into the next discussion is that they also closed the Game Awards with a Mass Effect teaser. It was another little one minute or so CG trailer flying through space, tips off that it's Mass Effect through like a broken mass relay and a very, you know, Mass Effect sounding soundtrack showing, it pans over to like an icy planet showing a character that is revealed to be presumably Liara, like all but confirmed, picking up some sort of debris from an N7, you know, equipment or outfit, which is obviously like the symbol of Mass Effect. With the tagline at the end, again, no, no title drop or anything, just with the statement, Mass Effect will continue. That is the title right there, man. Yeah. Calling it. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me most of 2017 or 16, where it was the Kingdom Hearts 3 trailer, where it said, <laughs> now in full development or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are always so weird when they like announce them like that. It's like, okay. The thing is, is that I feel like this would have been more impactful if this was the first inkling of the Mass Effect series continuing. But the thing is, is that with the announcement of the date of the Legendary Edition in November on N7 Day or shortly thereafter, they also they already said that Mass Effect Project is in, is in the works. So we already kind of knew that this was coming. But now they've, they, we've got a CG trailer to go with it. And this yeah, sounds like the trailer itself isn't that interesting. It's what it means, but they already kind of spoiled what it, what it means, which is <laughs> there's this mass attack coming. So, I mean, I guess maybe somebody wanted to disagree with me about the trailer is interesting, but I just feel like it's so early that anything they show in this trailer is very, very tentative and could change easily. This is all you know? very tricky too, because like this is like following off of like the departure of Casey Hudson and Mark Darrow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, obviously, like, you know, Two people alone, more people like, don't, right? Don't make up a whole studio, like you know, what is like everyone asks, like, what is BioWare at this point and whatnot? But it's like, obviously, you would hope, you would hope with like, I guess, with that, with that, that like they're trying something new, they're trying to get like a new generation of developers on this new generation of talent and trying to steer it, like, you know, into maybe a different direction that you know, maybe most fans will probably want hopefully like a breath of fresh air hopefully people just don't want the same thing again i but, hope that these games go well but and i really don't want to sound like depressing or anything but after andromeda and anthem it's really hard to get hyped for a bioware project i don't want yeah, to blame you you're not wrong yeah that's not that's not a hard uh you know it's not an yeah exactly i did see um I wish I could name names. I believe it was Mike Gamble retweeting various developers on Twitter about the, how people are like different people who are new or veterans at the studio working on Mass Effect, some of them who had worked in the original game. So it's always cool to see like these new up and coming artists and programmers and writers and designers. Yeah. It's really enthusiastic about what they're doing. Some of them who have been working on Mass Effect for a long time. So it's, it's okay to be optimistic as well, I feel. It's, I do yeah. feel, though, that Dragon Age, obviously, we'll hopefully see a lot sooner. But I still don't know how soon that is. Like, it still feels like Dragon Age is three years off, let alone Mass Effect. This one I, I think, like, like, I think in an yeah. investor's call a while ago, EA said 
that right now Dragon Age is scheduled to be like planned for the fiscal year that starts in April 2022. Okay. So I wonder so, I wonder where Anthem next lands. Anthem Wastelanders, mm-hmm. Anthem Reborn, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. it like it's so so difficult for me to like visualize these like real games so far yet. Like it's just it, you kind mm-hmm. of have to take their word for it at this point. It, it kind of feels like when Bethesda like pre-announced like Starfield and uh, Elder Scrolls Six. It's like I will they're say games. I guess you told us they're real games, so I will take your word for it. For a split second, I thought that that space might have been Starfield at the end. I did too. <laughs> it, it made it pretty clear that it was uh, Mass Effect at first, like, within right. like twenty seconds. But at first, because it's been a while since we've heard about Starfield, I think the last time we really heard about it was they said that it was not going to show up at E three twenty nineteen. Then obviously there wasn't yeah, an E three. And it last showed year. up at it showed up at twenty eighteen. So it's been more than two years since they announced that there was supposedly like one leaked screenshot that no one ever could oh, verify. Yeah. But, right. but, uh, yeah, but anyways, is... not to get off topic, but Mass Effect, Dragon Age, they exist. It might be a while before oh, we see them. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, you know, I, I would more than welcome another like great like entry to those series. You know, we we've, we've sort of lamented that I know Cyberpunk just came out, but this year hasn't had like there 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 aren't that many like big Western RPGs recently. Like there's Cyberpunk. There haven't been like a and lot then, of other on the other, yeah. You have Wasteland Three, which is kind of like in a different mm-hmm. realm, sort of. It's in that computer classic style. Mm-hmm. The Bioware kind of stirred like it had its own niche that nothing else has really been in, other than Greedfall kind of sipping its toes into it last year. Yeah, you have you have you have some of these smaller developers like an Exile or Spiders sort of growing, and maybe like you know they have they've made some pretty good games, but they haven't really. They're just only starting to establish themselves. And then obviously we had like Fallout seventy six from Bethesda being kind of a mess, and it's better now, but not like a it's single player Western RPG. I mean, it is single player, but it's different. <laughs> do you think? Do you think uh, they'll do the Kingdom Hearts thing with Mass Effect Legendary Edition, and by how, like sneaking a little tease, another new little tease of Mass Effect mm. will continue? Mm. It'll have like a concept art of Liara in a in a snow outfit on that planet at the very end. If you yeah, play all three games. Yeah, I'll just have like a mysterious cloak, cloak figure and be like, hey, Shepard, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, here we go. <laughs> One interesting thing that I saw is that uh, the, the voice actress for Liara, Ellie Hillis, tweeted that she didn't know about this. And I oh. always wonder like what that feels like. Not, not, not to say that she was slighted, but I wonder like how excited voice actors are to like reprise these characters that they end up becoming probably pretty attached to. I, I just always wonder what it's like to be on that side of the fence. I, mean, I, was to be fair, I don't think there's any reason why she should have known about it. Like would Myoware like say, Hey, Allie, your character, Liara, we're going to put her in a CG trailer for this game coming out. Like maybe five years from now, you're not, you're, we're not doing any voices yet. So like, I don't think she really like, no, I, I wouldn't have expected her. To I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not saying that she should have, but I'm just wondering like what it's like to be like, Oh man, that's, that's a character, that's character I contribute, like my voice do, yeah. like sort of thing. So I'm always curious to wonder what that what that's like. All right. Also at the Game Awards, we got a new very long trailer at, for uh, Pearl Abyss's Crimson Desert, which is uh, they are the same studio behind the MMORPG Black Desert Online. 
So Crimson Desert is a bit weird. I believe it was announced in 2019 as basically yeah, a sister MMO to Black Desert Online. However, it seems like they have kind of pivoted their marketing to talk about how it's a great single player experience without saying that it's no longer an MMORPG. They pretty much uh, are saying it's both. Yeah, basically. The trailer looks... It, it, I'll say this. It looks really ambitious. At its best, it looked really clean, really cool, really impactful. Though there were a bunch of times where I feel like the ambition outstripped the capability at the moment, where the frame rate kind of Some really, frame rate. <laughs> it really it suffered. Like, it looks like I need a new computer for this one <laughs> if I want to get yeah. into it. <laughs> I, the way I feel about it is, is that based off of friends that I know that have played Black Desert, if it because people are reporting it's an MMORPG, but it's really, really, like, uncertain exactly what the game actually is now. Because, like, there's some like there's some PR where they say it's an MMORPG, and then there's some where it says that it's a, a multiplayer game, not necessarily an MMO, but... Yeah, also- I actually, actually was going back through some of the PRs we got about it, and yes, the very first announcement called it an open-world MMORPG, and then like, they seem to have softened that. Like, no, it's not just that, it's more... And so just, just say it's all of the above uh, genre. Yeah. If because like I've seen people say that Black Desert was good until you had to like play it as an MMO because then it got really like pay to win, even though it was already a pay to play MMO, which is concerning. If this one is more of a single player game and then like the MMO stuff is like kind of tacked on afterwards, I might actually be interested because that combat mm-hmm. looked good. The visuals look nice. I mean, it, it looks promising. It just like the performance does seem to be like one of the big elephants in the room. So we'll have one to of see. my yeah, one of my comments was is that um, the biggest MMOs in the market these days, which is like World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy XIV, ESO, are all kind of like six or seven years old at this point. So it's interesting to see like New World had its preview event last summer, and then we have this game on the horizon, and then Ashes of her Ashes of What's that other game? Yeah, she's of creation. Uh, is also on the horizon. It'll be interesting to like 2021, 22, 23, see like the next wave of MMO or MMO like games that will be I mean, like on. Go ahead. There's also New Genesis coming. So the thing about New Genesis is that it's it's built on top of Fantasy Star Online 2. So the impression that I got is what they're doing is is that they made a new engine for New Genesis, and then they're also porting regular fantasy star online 2 to that new engine yeah Something it's weird like though that. That, that that'll be like within the same client like you'll i don't know if they'll divide it by ship like you'll have a ps2 ship and a new genesis ship very clearly looking at like what we've seen in new genesis and obviously like this time next week i believe we should have more information about it because is it the 18th or the 19th or is it the yeah it's it's 18th or 19th there's like some new stream on it there's, yeah. there's a bunch of like of announcements we actually expect to get like from like the 17th to the 20th. Yeah, there's gonna so, be tales through the tales thing. Um, we might see a rise again. There's yeah. new Genesis. There's a Falcon thing. Yeah, we just got information on Grand Blue. It's not gonna be a regular podcast next week because mm-hmm. well, that's there's all that side. The, there's always the maybe the week or maybe the new New Year after. Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah. lots lots of MOs coming up on the horizon. Uh, Crimson Desert looks pretty cool. Yeah, if it's, it's yeah, they really nailed the visuals on that one. Like that, that, that get that gets eyes for sure. It's like, oh wow, that looks 
I do think the trailer was a little long. Like by by the third minute of it, I was a little bit like tuning out. Like short less would have been more, I feel. But other than that, it was it was a pretty solid showing. Yep. We also got uh, information about Ruined King, a League of, a League of Legends story. So um, through uh, Riot Games has been uh, licensing out basically their League of Legends IP to independent studios to make spinoffs and other titles from it. One of those going to Airship Syndicate, who has made Darksiders Genesis and Battle Chasers Night War. And for that second game, Battle Chasers, that game came out in 2017, I believe. It's on like Switch and PS4 and all yeah, this. Yep. And Ruined King basically looks like a game in the same vein as that, only with a League of Legends skin on it. So because of that, even though I know diddly piddly about League of Legends, I'm interested in this game. It's a turn-based RPG. Basically, it's the typical Western studio taking their twist on what a traditional lineup, three-party members, turn-based RPG could look like. And does that make it a JRPG or not? Well, it depends on your perspective. But it's it's a game that I really enjoyed, Battle Chasers, and this game looks like it's really in the same vein. It almost looks like a follow-up to that, even though obviously it's under the new IP. So I have no interest in League of Legends at all because I'm not a competitive person. This is uh, with uh, Joe Madureira. I don't know how to say, say his last Joe, name. Yeah, yeah, the Joe Madureira. Joe Mad. Yeah, Joe Mad. Because no one else can pronounce his name. Very distinct art style. He did all the art uh, for the Darksiders. Darksiders, series. yeah, yeah. So very, very, very classic Western comic book. Uh, almost kind of teenage edgy <laughs> to some extent. Uh, art style. Yeah, it's awesome. It's very distinct, and it's cool to see. Uh, so even though I've never played League of Legends, I do recognize some of the characters just from you know entropy and just coming into my feed. And even though I probably couldn't name them, I recognize them. And now they're in this new art style. It looks like it'll be like a really cool indie turn-based RPG. I'm always cool to see like these little projects from independent studios, uh, especially on the Western side, just because it seems like there'd be, there's more of them. Uh, and I'm interested in this just to see like what, what sort of things. I, I didn't like Darksiders Genesis quite a lot, but this game seems like it's more... Less of a brawler and more of a, an RPG, so I think I'll have a high affinity to it. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it definitely looks more similar to Battle Chasers, and like considering Battle Chasers was a, a kickstarted game, where this has you know the, the funding of Riot behind it, maybe that circumstance will be beneficial to what the By game the way, is like. Uh, it slipped my mind before, but the publishing label that Riot Games is using for like this licensing of their IP is called Riot Forge. So I think that's where that uh, Runeterra is it a card game? Is label is under? And I then so. I thought it was just under Riot Forge. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like Riot Forge is the label that these League of Legends spinoffs are are mm-hmm. under. So and this is the this is an RPG that's under it. So of course it's in our wheelhouse, and of course we're interested. Though I don't think anyone here on the staff has any connection to League of Legends. It's not to be interesting. <laughs> No. I don't have any connection to League of Legends, so I am interested when they finally like get more info about their fighting game out. Because, well, as much problems as Riot has, and they have a lot of problems, I do remember that last year they actually um, invited a bunch of people from the Undernight and Birth community around uh, LA, Orange County, to their like offices for like just a random locals event. 
So it's like very clearly like whenever that fighting game gets like showcased, they're going to do like a decent job at like community outreach, which is really which should be cool to see. Also at the Game Awards, we got a trailer for Monster Hunter Rise, which is we already knew the release date. We already Inject saw footage it. of the game. I, I take it away, James. Uh, so we got a few returning monsters and a returning biome. So Flooded Forest for Monster Hunter Tri, Portable Third, and Three Ultimate is being remade for Rise. Um, one really cool thing is that that one like temple pyramid in the background that you can see in the original map you can actually go to now, which is interesting. Uh, so there, you can go there. Yeah, there's a few returning monsters. Uh, Royal Ludroff is finally coming back. It's a it's a weak monster, but it, it always was uh, pretty charming. It's nice to see it kind of like get a glow up. It's uh, spongy mane very much looks more like Sponge now, which is kind of cute. Uh, Great Roggy is back, and they didn't showcase it in the trailer, but in some other shots, you can see that also like Great Baggy also is coming back. So. It's safe to assume that also Great Jag, if I'm not sure, they probably showed it off, but if not, it's probably also coming back. Uh, so that's cool. We've got a few new monsters. We've got a kind of uh, Tengu-like design, but very much looks like a mix between a bat and a like baboon or monkey. Interesting sort of thing. Uh, I think it's called... Where's the name for it? It is called Bishatan. So that's um, that's a new monster. And then there's another one that's a Leviathan type using specifically what looks to be the snake wyvern, wyvern skeleton, which gives me hope that some of the other snake wyverns from like 4 Ultimate will come back. Uh, but that one is called... Um, Somnacamp. Yeah, Somnacamp. So very interesting looking monsters already showcases some more variety that was kind of sorely lacking from uh, World and Iceborne. Though, like I said, when I reviewed Iceborne, the fact that they were already like adding in new skeletons like Rajongs and all that was a good sign. Uh, I'm very much excited for this. Um, yeah, and there's a demo coming in January. And we got a small, a very, very small tidbit for what exactly those rampages that they've been talking about are going to be. Uh, best guess, it seems to be something kind of like a horde mode, which is interesting. Oh, okay. So, hmm. yeah. By the way, I, I feel like I should remind people that January is like ne next month. January, is going to be, January and February are going to be crazy for RPGs. And it, it feels like that's been the, the, um, the situation for the last couple of years, unless I've been like crazy or not. We, like, we gotta I, don't wait. I don't think there's a ton in well, I guess there's a January demo, and there's Atelier Ryza, too. February is especially busy, yeah. I mean, I guess there's Yakuza now. All yeah. the Yakuza. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you have Yakuza games, so it's automatically busy, because there's, like, three full Yakuza games. So, yeah. <laughs> well. Hmm. One thing I... Like... Go ahead, not James. sure. Hmm. No, go ahead. I'm not sure if I want to talk about this, so we can cut this if we decide to or not, but looking at some of these screenshots, like, since we know from the Capcom leak that Rise is getting a PC port, I wonder if some of this footage and screenshots are actually from the Switch version. Because oh, the rest of the screenshots are, are, like, pretty sharp. Like, 
And I'm not saying that Capcom isn't really competent. They are. Like, they probably knew the 3DS's hardware better than Nintendo themselves. But it's like, makes me curious if this is actually how the game's going to look like on Switch. If it does, like, it'll be far and away, like, the best looking Switch game, I feel like. And that's, that would be really cool. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm really curious. Maybe Switch Pro? Switch mm. I? Yeah. Switch. Still not sure about it. We should even mention that leak thing, but uh, yeah. No, nah, it's fine. I mean, it's out there. We're not going to pretend it doesn't exist. I don't see an issue with it. Yeah. yeah. Video games are developed on computers, so you don't really know right. how it runs on the hardware until someone records it on the hardware. Even like Nintendo, back when Skyward Sword was a thing, released 1440p screenshots of Skyward Sword. So it's not like it's something that hasn't happened. I remember Capcom, when they were first doing media for Monster Hunter Stories, the 3DS game, some of the first screenshots for that were like like 720p, which isn't like fantastic, but for a 3DS game, it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) This doesn't make sense. Hold up. Well, the biggest, obviously the biggest news from this whole thing, though, this wasn't during the Game Awards thing, but the little owls that that you've seen in the trailers, they have names now, and they're called Cahoots. (laughs) So now you have have Palicos, Palamutes, and Cahoots. Well, there's even more names in that, because Palicos and Palamutes are specifically the helpers, but the actual, like, names for the species are felines and canines. Oh, right. Mm. But yeah, just... Something about cahoots, just such a—it's it's, it's great. It's great. I can't wait to have a plus name. Yeah, I can't yep. a plus plus. I can't wait to have a menagerie of owls, cats, and dogs alongside my monster hunter. You're yep. just an animal summoner in this game, man. That's what it feels like. <laughs> this game looks so so good. I- I'm super excited for it. Yep. Continuing on with game awards announcements, uh, we got a new trailer for Scarlet Nexus. So this trailer was mostly just more footage of the game. Uh, I mean, I don't know if Adam can maybe speak to it, what was specifically new out of this. It shows that now, that throughout the later parts of 2020, they've really kind of pivoted to show to two primary playable characters, which I can't name. That was, that was, that was revealed at TGS. And right. basically, you have two protagonists. You have Yuito, who was the first one they showed, the guy. And then there's Kasane, the girl, who you play as in the game. Now it's not. It seems to be more that these characters each have like their own unique storyline that you play through, but they kind of connect together. So if you pick one person, one of the characters at the start of the game, the story you're playing might be a little bit different. But it's it's not like a choosable protagonist playing through the same storyline. It's uh-huh. like two different protagonists with their individual stories that you play through, and they intersect. And they assume they intersect in some way. Um, and they say in their press releases, like, you need to play both to get the full picture and whatnot. So that's how it works. Ah, so there's, there's, been, some, there's been some speculation that one of the reasons why this game took a while to get, like, a release window announcement was that it was internally delayed to add Kasane as, like, more of a fully-fledged playable character. Maybe they realized that people weren't so excited just to play as this Yuito guy who does... I by design, <laughs> by design, literally by design, doesn't look super remarkable. No, seriously, in the interview that they gave around TGS as well, he was meant to look kind of like just to be a normal guy. Like that's kind of the point. I, <laughs> but anyway, I, I can only imagine like the the the, the, the meaning for say It's like our sales trajectory is saying that it's only going to sell this much if there's like only you. People want to play as the as the wife. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. If we, if we add an anime girl, I, we're thinking this is the sales trajectory. This is what happened. <laughs> Like, all right, 
we're pushing it back. Now but in terms of the, uh, that, that's right. speculation. Right. But in terms of what's new in this announcement, this trailer was basically highlighting, like emphasizing this dual protagonist storyline. But what's actually like the new info here is that up to this point, they had not even set a year when this game was releasing or anything about when it was releasing. But now we know it's summer 2021. Cool. For now. That that's that feels a lot later than I would have expected from the, the uh, based on like how they've marketed this game so heavily. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of get shades of Code Vein a little. When that it's was a lot of trailers. Hey, Code Vein sold really well for them, so I mean, if, if it works, mm-hmm. true. Code Vein also had that weird like dormant period where we we learned a bunch about it, then it went us went, went to bed for. It got delayed at E three, and like it got delayed a whole year. Like, so many that was big- a public delay. It's just like. Like, where's Elden Ring? Where's Tales of Arise? Tales of Arise already had, like, substantial amounts of gameplay when it was first shown off. It looked not really. (laughs) It was very early, it looked like. It looked decent into development. It just seems very weird that it's been, like, a year and a half since then and we haven't heard anything when... Well, here's here's the requisite. um... If you show something off of gameplay where it's like, yeah, maybe it's not... Maybe it's still fairly early, but it's like obviously it's a decent chunk of development. And I know that like Bamco did something similar with like uh uh Nino Kuni 2 when they showed it off like first, it had plenty of gameplay, then like a year and a half later that it finally got the release date. It's just it's weird. It's like I know with Elden Ring specifically, people like some people like Duskolm have been trying to say, oh, it just they announced it too soon. It was just like just had started development, which First off, that's bullshit, because we've gotten information specifically about Elden Ring that started development after Dark Souls 3's DLC finish. So clearly it's been development for over three years now, so it's like, where, where's that? Uh, <laughs> I, guess I, I, I have two comments, I guess. Development schedules are, you know, games are ready when they're ready. You know? Yeah, I, I have two comments. Games are big and complicated, and then obviously the requisite COVID. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like it's it's like one of those. It's like what were they doing? Like eight years of development in Cyberpunk. I can't believe this is like ah. I didn't mean to come across that way. It's just no. It's it's it is weird though. To, not maybe not weird. It's not the right word, but you have to kind of calibrate yourself. That certain studios like Nintendo will announce a game three months before it's ready. Like oh, Paper Mario Origami King. Here Whoa. it is. Age of Calamity. Here it is. But then and Nintendo then like, also announces stuff like Bayonetta three and Metroid Prime four. It's like oh, oh yeah, where was that? Who knows? It's been over three years since Bayonetta three got announced, and we haven't heard anything since that. Games are ready when they're ready. <laughs> Just for those keeping track, Tales of Arise. The last info we got from it was from T- Tokyo Game Show 2019, so more than a year ago. But there's a Tales event coming up, like in a week, and maybe we'll see it then. Who knows? It'll only be Crystoria stuff. There you go. Yep. And the last, <laughs> based on the least list that I have here, the last relevant announcement from the Game Awards was during the pre-show. I believe it was during the pre-show. They showed uh, a couple minutes of footage from near reincarnation version, no. or whatever, whatever. What? The, 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 that you're talking about the near replicant version 1.2 point. Oh, what's which one's reincarnation? Reincarnation is the mobile game. Ah, replicant versus reincarnation. I screwed it up. Josh, shake it away. Why do I host this thing? Okay. <laughs> no, they they sh- you're doing fine. You're doing awesome. You're doing don't worry about it. Uh they had the 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 host of the pre-show say the full name near replicant version point one 
wait, 1.22474487139 dot dot dot. They showed a few a few uh this is like our first good look at like the gameplay because they showed a little bit of it at TGS was like a, pro, a prototype debug build of it. There's like actually showing it in earnest in action and it's um obviously definitely following along the lines of uh, Automata's flow and uh gameplay style like you saw um on your himself like, I thought it was near replicant version 1.2 blah 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 trailer upgraded salmon row <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was from a, a tweet from Pyro so maybe they are doing a, a renaming <laughs> but yeah uh the, you can definitely see the DNA of Automata now uh in your this near replicant remake because like the way that uh near himself runs around uh, almost a little bit like 2B animations it's it's very much more fluid and a, a little bit more fast paced. Uh, it's not as stiff as the original PS3 360 uh, game, and it just you know there's not a lot really to talk about like what in the few clips they showed. It's like it's, it's, it, it was only the trailer was only a minute long, yeah. so it's not very long. Yeah, it's, 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 think, it's not anything like crazy. It's like oh, okay, like it looks like you know they're they're on the right track. It looks well, way more fluid, and maybe it'll be. A lot of people will like fully see it through instead of like being, oh, oh man, this gameplay. <laughs> I don't know about you, Josh, but the moment in the gameplay where uh, Nier literally did an enemy step off an enemy, I I, I don't know. I, I, I was feeling pretty great about then. I don't know what that was, though, or what that was just part of the attack. I'm not sure exactly. It kind of looked like step to me. It, it, it can go both ways, but that'd be crazy if they actually did add enemy stepping to that gear. It's like, oh, okay, I don't know if it really needed this. Uh, like, for me, it's like, I could go either way because, like, the original ga- uh, game's gameplay was, like, quite it was, like, it wasn't, like, super, like, polished, but, like, it was functional. I was like, okay, that's all I really need from this game because I'm not really here for, like, a very, like, intricate gameplay system. It was more like, I just want to see the story through, and that was my main motivation. But, like, but I, I have different like standards and thresholds because I was willing to go through like the let's say the original Dot Hack quadrilogy and Dragon Guard. You know, like the, those games are like they don't have great gameplay. But I was like, it, I still kept on going for the story. You know, the, the this is fine. Yeah, sure, why not go for it? Uh, I'm I'm excited to see like the full game finally. You know, I just want to play it. I just want to play it. That's all I want to do. I'm so excited. So what did they announce yeah. on the Japanese side for the mobile game, Near, Re- Near yeah. Reincarnation? Near Reincarnation, they uh, just recently announced that it was supposed to be scheduled for this year, this uh, sometime around this fall or winter, I guess. There's not a lot of this year left. Yeah. Uh, so they, ha- they had like a closed beta test on it like a few months back as well. So I guess, you know, based on feedback and to improve the quality of the game, uh, they pushed it back to the first half of 2021 in Japan. This which is uh, makes it interesting because back at ooh, I want to say yeah, it was in the T- a TGS stream. Uh, they announced that they would also be releasing uh, near reincarnation for the Americas and Europe. Um, so this really puts in the, calls the question: like, is this going to be uh, a possible simultaneous global release for this mobile game, which would be like insanely cool? Not a lot of games, mobile games, do that these days. Um, but if it was, I'm, I'd be more than happy because that means that, like, you know, nothing is really spoiled. Every everyone's on the same leveling field. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see where, where this goes. 
it's kind of a uh, just throwing up in the throwing it up in the air now. That that I think covers everything from the Game Awards that was RPG focused. Obviously, there was a few other announcements for general gaming. Yeah, let's see. That sounds, that sounds right. Uh, I guess we should also mention that. Um, ooh, who won? Who won RPG of the Year? Final Fantasy VII Remake won RPG right, of the that's Year. Right. There we go. And it's uh, the other nominations were Genshin Impact. Was Genshin Impact one of them? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because I know I know Genshin Impact was also there for a mobile game where it also didn't win. Let's see. It's, uh, there's Yakuza Like a Dragon there, Persona Five Royal, and Wasteland, Wasteland 3. Three. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm okay with that pick, and obviously we'll have our own deliberations and not too long about our own pick. Vote in our poll. So, yeah, vote in our reader's right. choice poll. I think I I won't give it away. Yeah, just vote. yeah. I know what the results are so far, but just vote. Your vote matters. Every vote matters in that poll. Okay, it's it's yeah. a matter. You of- can also vote. You can also vote more than once. We won't stop you. <laughs> actually, 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 we will if there's like obvious. But you know, it's it's a little bit loose intentionally. It's very important to us. We're very <laughs> curious. We won't right, judge couple, you. Oh, well, maybe. A couple minor picks. Uh, picks. Why did I say picks? A couple minor uh, news updates from before the Game Awards. Um, Star Wars Nice Little Republic 2 releasing for mobile devices on December 18th. And then the original game was already available on mobile, so here's the sequel. There it is. I kind of thought it was already on mobile since the original was so long ago. Like, that was like 2013. Now, the weird like, thing oh, about I, guess, this game, I didn't realize it wasn't yet. <laughs> Is that back in 2015 or so on the PC version of the game, it kind of semi officially got the restored content mod like added to the Steam version of the game? Oh, I don't, I don't think you have to opt into it, but basically, you don't have to like go to Nexus mods and do it all yourself now. It's, it's kind of bundled in with it, if I remember right. And then that's also when they added like a bunch of quality of life stuff. So now, it play, now it's got widescreen support because the original game was 4.3. Um, and then it's uh, 4K resolution support and all that stuff. So For I what it's wonder- worth, the company that did that, Aster Media, is the same who's doing the mobile ports. So hmm. it's the same company. Guess- I don't. I, I'm, I'm going to guess that like it'll have. It obviously has like the widescreen and like the the official like polishing updates. But it, I, I doubt it's going to come with like mod content. Yeah, you know, obviously for the mobile version. Got- this we get to the dream trios. Uh, BioWare's got Dragon Age, we got Mass Effect, and now we got Kotor. Yeah. Now I haven't played the mobile version, but the way that Knights of the Old Republic works, being like a dice roll, not really action RPG, I think it actually works fairly well on mobile. That's cool. That's like like good you basically game. click. You, it's it's you're, it's basically like cooldowns, like almost like an MMO. You click actions that have cooldowns. So is it like a virtual- hit? Where like where you like you move your thumb like around the left yeah. side, they move around. Okay, I get, yeah. The, always the virtual D pad is where I guess you know that becoming... that to some people just makes it unplayable. Yeah, I need I, I need tactile buttons. I need something that I actually push in. Mm. I've re- I've rewired my brain to, for that to not be like a a deterrent anymore. Uh, I'm not there I'm yet. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can deal with it now. Yeah, coming out coming out on December 18th. Uh, interesting, unexpected, but why not? Kind of a random, amusing thing about this is in the press release, it's like, have your fan favorite characters join you, like HK47 and Kreia. <laughs> Kreia. Like, we also did get a bunch of information about Bravely Default 2, 
I don't remember where this was originally published, if it was just shared by Square Enix. So it's just a I'll delegate, as I, as I have been doing this whole podcast. Adam, tell me about Ridley Vault 2. What did we learn from this? I mean, so this update that, that Square Enix sent out last week, it's, it's just sort of one of their normal monthly updates to the game. They revealed uh, a couple of new characters. Like, there's this character named Emma who is um, one of the... So out of the, of the four, like, um, primary characters of the game, one of them, Elvis, is, like, a researcher. And Emma is, like, his mentor. And it's, like... So if you, you can get, look into, like, the some of the the fine story details before the game releases if you want there it revealed a bunch of the asterisk holders which if you haven't played bravely games they're basically like they're characters in the game but they're sort of like bosses you fight that once you beat them that's what allows you to take their job so it's like we got the one for the thief for the archer for the beastmaster, um and a few others so it's just like here are some of the asterisk holders and some of the new jobs you can get and then they revealed some of the other systems that are also just carryovers from the original game, like the death blow system. Um, there's now actions you can perform on the field in terms of just like literally like swiping like spots for resources or getting preemptive hits on enemies. And there's some sort of online functionality. I didn't read into it too much, but it's sort of like it's going to be sort of like the Bravely games where you have some sort of ad hoc system where. I don't know how you like in the Bravely games. You could like do this sort of like defense mini game where over time you would you could fight bosses on like this field that you were growing. It was really weird. It was kind of this awkward online function, but there's going to be a similar one in Bravely Default too. Uh, okay. Um, so it was just sort of like nothing new about the release date or not not no trailer, but just sort of like here's some details about the game, a bunch of screenshots. Here's some of the classes, things like that. So. Pretty media update. Otherwise, you can read it on our website. When's that coming out again? February February twenty fifth, twenty sixth. That is a February release too. Dang. So no, yeah, another early game release for RPGs. Early year release. I mean, all the more reasons for you guys to complete three, four, and five before February twenty sixth. Yeah, like specifically, they revealed like eight more classes: Bard, Beastmaster, Gambler, Berserker, Red Mage, Hunter, Shieldmaster, Pictomancer. I think Pictomancer and Shield master are new. That sounds new. I want to dual wield shields. I want to just be like a tank, an impenetrable. I remember in the original Bravely Default, my like setup was to have like four ninjas. One of them had like healing, like mage subclass, and like oh, they're that's just crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> but that, that's sort of what these Bravely games are like. They're sort of um in the vein of like final fantasy 5 where you have a job system as like the core of the gameplay and you can have a primary class and subclass any character can be any class and so there's a lot of like theory crafting in terms of putting together a party and it seems like bravely default 2 is bringing that too which is fully expected but it'll be pretty cool hopefully what do we think about the art style it's different all right i'm okay with it i'm okay with it like it. I, it seems I, I, a little bit contentious. It, it looks unique for sure. I, I will always give unearned brownie points for just being bold and different. Just something that I can't get anywhere else. Even if I end up not liking it in the end, just I'm, I'm just glad like, they I, took I, that step. I'm like, I'd rather have what it is right now than just like making the original game's art style or like art direction and art style just but bigger. Like, I don't think that would transition about like a big screen. Yeah. So I might know where it's at. Sure. 
you could do like a cell shaded anime style, but then there's so many games that look like that now too, or yeah, it'll lose a little bit of that unique, you know, mm-hmm. identity. Anime isn't perfected already. It's, it's <laughs> but. And speaking of games that we've were announced a while ago and have taken a long time to develop because of COVID and games are hard to make. Grand Blue versus Relink. Wait, Grand Blue oh, versus, no, versus Relink? That, no, that's what you that's have in my podcast. That seems yeah, wrong. Yeah, uh, the podcast document has a typo in it. Yep. <laughs> Grand Blue. <laughs> it's a, uh, as soon as I read that, I'm like, that is not right. Grand Blue Fantasy <laughs> Relink. Someone in my podcast document wrote Grand Blue versus Relink, and it's not right. I just totally what I saw. <laughs> it's wrong. Grand Blue <laughs> Fantasy Relink. So literally just last night, hours ago, or maybe like 12 hours ago at this point, uh, had the yearly, is it Grand Blue Fez? Uh, yeah, so. they've been doing it. Like a, last night was technically the first day of the Grand Blue Fantasy Fest 2020, their annual, you know, end of the year, you know, check in on the Grand Blue, the, the Grand Blue Fantasy mobile game, which is like the big meat of it because, you know, it's such a big popular game that they need like a crazy amount of time to spend on it and what to expect uh in that game um one of the updates that we got um er- earlier today was that um they, they went into detail like a crazy amount of detail about uh the timeline of grand grand blue fantasy relink of like when they announced it and like where it's at right now basically like like August of 2016 is like when they first announced it, the first trailer, and then they kind of went on to say like, "Oh, this is what they showed off at 2017, and then what we showed off in 2018, and what we showed off in 2019, and whatnot." But the but the big news out of all this is basically um, they pushed it back to the 2022, and then they are they're also developing a PS5 version of that game alongside the PS4 version, and whatnot. They showed off like over 20 minutes of. Um, gameplay uh for that game just it, right now just on the stream uh itself they're gonna have like a separate like direct feed version with uh, english subtitles and whatnot uh last year yeah last year they showed off like a gameplay of the four dragon knights which are lancelot percival siegfried and uh i forgot did the you other. watch the gameplay the new one the yeah new gameplay? Watched, yeah yeah i watched the game so, so we tweeted this out because kite posted the news story and i've seen a couple people mention that like they thought the gameplay didn't look as good now uh i, I mean just broadly and like what do you think like, I compared kind of, to previous yeah. showings i I, th- I thought it was the weakest showing of the game so far like there's something that feels off about it like it, do- it doesn't like the visual fidelity it seems to have taken a hit but you know that's obviously going by stream that's development right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and that yeah like right now like they've said that they're currently on like the alpha uh, version of the game that they're showing off so the, the anything could change visuals wise but also like kind of like the gameplay flow just didn't seem as tight as last year in this one they uh, instead of the four dragon knights they showed off um eo um Catalina and Rosetta was in your party. They they did uh, show off that you can change between the Grand and Jita, the two protagonists, the two selectable protagonists that you can have at the in the mobile game. You can switch between them at any time. So you can have Grand or Jita at any time. Uh, you just uh, change it from the menu, and then they'll be replaced, um, no problem. And kind of showing off, you know, just more of like the skill system. It's it's very like a, a lot of it is like. Systems wise, it's kind of the same. You, you see a first look at like the 
the menus and uh, and like like it has like that clean menu look to it. Very, um, it fits within the style like the sky theme going on in Grand Blue. But just like the combat itself, kind of feels, I don't know, it feels messy at, at the moment. Obviously, wow. uh, obviously, I need, to, like, I need to watch this footage. Yeah. It, like like if you watch last year's gameplay with the the yeah. gameplay with the four dragon knights and then this year's gameplay you can tell that like so, something about it just feels off at the moment I, I i remember last year it was like in terms of like structure of the game it seemed to be sort of like this cooperative mission based game where you party up with friends or it's just ai and you take on like boss sort of monsters in this action rpg sort of setting that's sort of like Wait, I'm trying to like envision like what actually like the overall structure of the game is, and it seemed to be sort of something like that, some online cooperative focus. I don't know if that's actually how the game's going to be. But yeah, that's what it seems like. Yeah, they haven't really shown off too much of like exactly what you're going to be doing in this game. Besides, like exactly what you said, it's like we'll go we'll go through stages with like three other people, could be with friends, could be with AI, and then the, the, these stages seem to be going like a linear path towards a boss. And right now they're saying that the remaining stages of development are obviously the beta version and the, the mastered already for, for release. I think the concerning part about uh, this game right now is they've already said up front after showing all this, like, oh, yeah, we'll have no news for you in 2021. It's like, yeah, the fact, the fact it's been, you know, in development for a while and it gets very sparse updates and, you know, Platinum Games was on it originally. I'd be surprised if any of their contributions are still around, like in any significant degree and that now we're not getting any more data or information until like a year from now that's that's yeah, always basically a little bit concerning like, next uh, year right come back no, next year not, oh. not even next year like maybe the year after because they said there's nothing new for it, uh, for this game in 2021 already yeah. so mm-hmm. like they're like replying to release in 2022 it's like okay that's is that is this either like a late 2022 release or is it just like another like a, a, an optimistic date till it gets delayed again like this is such a weird game to follow because this was, yeah, like you said, this was, there was an original partnership with Platinum. Something had to have happened behind the scenes, like a falling out, because once Platinum was off the project and they both announced it, all mentions of Platinum off the, uh, the project was gone. Their logo yeah. on the page, on the official site, anything on the trailers and whatnot, like it was gone. It's not, and then they, and then they already said, like they restarted development on it the, in their Osaka studio. So, Obviously, something happened behind the scenes. You know, it could be left to any sort of speculation on whatnot. Not to say that like anything was like anyone's at fault, because that's just how game development game, game partnerships work. Sometimes they don't like you know, sometimes yeah. they don't work, and that's fine. But it's just it's such a weird, messy development for this game. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like if in a vacuum, I wouldn't know what to say. But I definitely, what's the best way to put it? After the way that. Platinum handled the wonderful 101 remastered Kickstarter earlier this year. I feel like I'm more inclined to believe that there was a problem that there are problems in Platinum's management because there were so many issues with that Kickstarter. Like folks in Europe were charged like custom fees, like with, with no indication that was going to be the case. I backed for a PC physical copy when they first announced the Kickstarter. The box art that they show, used to showcase what the PC physical would be said PC DVD on the case. 
it was a mock-up, yes, but then they later down the line, they said it was after you already chose your platform that would be a steam key in a box. Despite the fact that immediately I tried to like change my copy to a Switch version, they were unable to accommodate mostly because they didn't actually respond to any inquiries on Kickstarter itself. Then later on, they went through the Yeti for customer service stuff. The Yeti was slow on that, um, that, that end of things. But from what I can tell, because I do know somebody that works for the Yeti, that wasn't their fault. That was because they literally had to forward any inquiries to Platinum, and it took them forever to get the thing. And this is not even mentioning that, like, that their their phone game was it World of Demons is sort of like I don't think it's officially canceled, but it's like we don't know what it's doing. That definitely um, had my age. I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm trying to elevate a bit. One second here, somewhere. Guys. Like I feel like what what's the tangent here? Like we're talking about like other. We were talking about yeah, Platinum, we were talking Platinum small about contributions. issues, and now we're talking about Platinum's issues. Oh, okay. I, I'm not sure how this, this connection seems a bit tenuous, but yeah, like like I said, like I said, anything can happen in game development and game partnerships. That's I'm not trying to like say it's one way or the other, right? Like I'm, I try to be a bit, you know, benefit of the doubt to both parties and be more like you know understanding to both. Uh, obviously, there there is like you know a long line of like issues. Like you know, at, at Platinum recently and whatnot. And hopefully, you know, they they weather it uh, all the best. You know, they they seem to be hopefully going in the right, the right direction. You know, opening up a Tokyo studio and like getting all these projects up and running and whatnot. So you know, I I would like to play a Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, but I wanted I wanted to release when it's ready. And uh, I don't want to. I can't believe it. someone sabotaged me and put Grand Blue Verses on the text. <laughs> I look. My mind was a different place because there was like another big. There was I a knew big, yeah, on Grand uh, Blue versus. So that was on my mind. That was pretty good though, because like we all we all recognized it as you said. As like, soon as I read it, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. So Grand Blue Fantasy Relink coming supposedly in 2022, uh, 2022 for PS5 and. More news. Some games that go through trouble development end up fine, but you know it's always you always got to be a little bit like curious, any at least. Yeah. Right. Yep. All right. I think that covers everything that was from the Game Awards and outside of the Game Awards. And obviously, we had the big talk about Cyberpunk. We talked about other things like Labyrinth of Galleria and Persona Five Royal. Uh, any other Emo. things? Yeah. Any other things to bring up before we start wrapping up? Yeah. Um. For people, you know, who keep up with us, thank you so much for keeping up with the podcast. Uh, you know, big props to Brian, big props to Adam. You know, for you know reviving the podcast, getting more interest around it. You know, it's uh, it was it, it was a challenge getting it back up and go, going on a consistent schedule. It's, and uh, so, thank you so much to uh, you guys for keeping it running and uh, reviving it. Thank you for you know everyone listening, uh, you know, regularly listening. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, your support means a lot to us. It really does, and also um, just plans for you know end of the year stuff. Um, I think next week we won't have a regularly scheduled podcast because that uh, just you know ne- next week we're going to be recording game of the year, uh, the game of the year podcast for release. You know when, when that's ready, um, and uh, after that we don't know yet if we're going to have a recorded podcast. Uh, the day after Christmas, but definitely. No, I think the plan is the plan is as, as of this moment is that the next regular podcast recording will be 
the first Saturday in January. So the sixth okay. or whenever that is. All so, right. That, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, no, so, so, the, we'll, so we'll record the Game of the Year podcast next week, but obviously that's going to require more editing. We're going to have some right. written features that go along with it. We're going to look at the results of the Player's Choice poll. And then we'll have some sort of big blowout where we put all those things up. Readers, the reader's result, our result, podcast recording, uh, all up in late, Jan- late December or potentially early January, uh, very early January. But yeah, that'll be an interesting time. And then I do want to just thank people like Adam and James and George, who's not here, and of course, Josh, and even people who show up infrequently like Colin or Kyle, just when I'm not available, when I'm not able to talk at length about something, you're always here to like catch me and to actually give the information, the diligence that it deserves. So thank you so much for, for showing up every week or, or nearly every week. So it's been kind of just an experiment. I wasn't sure when we started this back up in February that it w- we would possibly go every week like we have been, but I don't think we missed even one somehow, some way. This so. year you did uh, like an amazing job, dude. For real. Like I've just awesome. Thank you so much. All right. I promise not to t- I will think more about what I'm reading on the podcast document about whether or not it actually makes sense. Uh, yeah, but I, I, the, plan, the plan is right now is that it will continue into 2020. So we'll take a break kind of for the game of the year stuff. But then as soon as we kick it up right uh, in January, it's just going to keep going. Just keep trucking along. All right. And then uh, obviously this is, this is the last regular normal podcast. We want to wish our listeners uh, happy holidays. Stay safe. And have fun, you know. Just uh, it's been a it's been a crazy year, and you know anything can happen next year. So uh, we we wish you the best, and hopefully, you know, you have a an awesome holiday. You deserve and hopefully, it. And hopefully, things are back to normal before the end of twenty twenty one. Yep, here's hoping twenty twenty one is a better year. God, I hope I, so. I would take a more boring year. Just be boring. Be plain. Just don't be twenty twenty. Uh, <laughs> All right, so RPG site, you can always visit us our work at rpgsite.net, our Twitter page at RPG site. We do have some videos up on our YouTube channel at RPG site.net. Uh, you can join our Discord channel by going to RPG site.net, clicking the link at the top. And then all the reviews that we talk about, we do put up on the site as long as, alongside our preview features and everything else, all the news that we talk about. And we hope we're still around next year and we'll, you'll hear from us then. Till then, take care, stay safe, wash your hands, don't touch your face. See you next time. Happy holidays, everyone. Later, folks.